Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Good. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, let me explain. One of us on the show today is experiencing something for the first time. Usually we talk about movies and TV, but it can be literally anything. Uh, I just have a guest on. One of us is experiencing something for the first time, and we talk about it. It's really that simple. Um, Today is a big one for me. I am going into this pretty much blind, and I have two people who are so passionate about this topic. Um, I don't know if I'm even going to have to talk. I feel like I can just sort of uh, introduce it and let you guys go, but I am going to ex- to share my insight and experience, uh, my first time experience into this. And I have a lot of questions for you guys because I'm still uh, completely new to this. But today we're going to be talking about the 1964 movie Mothra versus Godzilla. survive his wrath, curse his unrelenting fury. Now, a new ally stands to battle the menace of Godzilla. Over there! The gigantic insect known as Mothra! the combined might of man's forces and Mothra be enough to halt Godzilla's latest rampage? Thrill to the fight of the century. Godzilla versus Mothra. Okay, so Mothra versus Godzilla came out in 1964. This, like I said, is not only like a first time watch for me, but my knowledge of the franchise is so minuscule. Like, I think that's why you guys are so excited to do this one, because... I this has been a big blind spot in my um, movie watching for years. I've seen the newer movies, the one with Brian Cranston, then the the one that just came out, the Michael Doherty one, and that's basically my only uh, insight. I guess what was the the Godzilla movie that was like a knockoff that the government forced a director to make? I watched uh, that one for AOTKP. That was Pulgasari. 
yeah so how how awful is it that i've seen that and have i haven't seen this or any of the other movies is that like a huge crime uh, i don't think so it's not a crime it is, it's more like a something that makes you special okay <laughs> well <laughs> i mean that's this is like exactly what this podcast is for um not only am i getting to finally experience this but i get to sort of ask you guys all kinds of questions about it because like i said my my knowledge of this franchise is at like a maybe one because i've seen the newer ones i'm not i know who godzilla is godzilla is a um cultural phenomenon it's like something that you're born everybody knows what godzilla is but it's probably also one of those movies like the original that everybody thinks that they've seen but they haven't really um I've, I'm pretty sure I've, I, I know I've seen the original Godzilla, uh, the black and white one, but I, I can't say I even really know the story of it, but what about Mothra versus Godzilla? You guys jumped at pretty quickly to this conclusion that this was the one to go with. And why is it this one that I had to watch? So for me, um, I think that the Godzilla series is interesting because like you said, it's a cultural phenomenon, but it's not something that people know about through cultural osmosis where it's like there's key scenes that everyone remembers, even if they haven't seen it. Um, but everyone, everyone knows the concept of giant monsters fighting each other and destroying a city. Um, and that really begins with um, in earnest in, in this film. Um, the, the predecessor for this one was King Kong versus Godzilla, but that's more of a satirical uh, bend towards monsters fighting each other. And so Mothra versus Godzilla is um, a great entry point to the franchise and uh, the franchise's golden era where um, the films were mostly directed by Ashiro Honda and the special effects were done by E.G. Tsuburaya and um, the scripts were penned by Shinichi Sekizawa. Um, and so it's this golden period of almost 10 years where um Toho was doing like the shared universe thing way before um, the MCU became a thing. And the er, everything about the, the series was firing on all cylinders at that point. But the series probably never topped this movie again in terms of sheer quality and uh, uh, fantasy elements and just feeling, feeling a lot of fun, uh, feeling like it was a lot of fun. So that's why I picked this film. I don't know. Uh, why did you pick the film, uh, Brian? Well, that's, and it's interesting that I had... All, all the points you made are entirely correct. And yet I had a completely different uh, reason for picking this one. And it was funny when Tad asked us to, to choose one. I think we both thought about it for all of a minute before yep. we both said Bother versus Godzilla. And uh, I actually picked this one because I thought thematically it would resonate with Tad the most. That mm. not so much from the standpoint of even the great special effects or the music or anything like that that the, uh, the themes of sort of anti-greedy capitalism would really hit home because, you know, not to get super political, I mean, we're all pretty leftist here, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this is, and that, and that is kind of a, a theme throughout a lot of Godzilla movies, but in this one, it's very much in the forefront. Yeah, it's interesting because that that did resonate with me. Obviously, it uh, has a social commentary to it. It's not as simple as uh, two monsters fighting and destroying a city. Um, 
I I guess I could sort of talk about the plot, but I feel like one of you would do a better job than me. Um, but maybe maybe because it's my first watch, I will sort of outline it, and then you guys can tell me where I'm getting wrong or what I'm missing. Um, basically, starts off with a tsunami, right? It's a it's a big tsunami hits, um, and it unearths a giant Mothra egg that's floating in the sea. Um, the fishermen believe that it's their property because it's in their waters. They sell it to a rich asshole corporate uh, suit and they then it's sort of it's awesome because there's these little tiny women who are from an island who are who reveal that it's Mothra egg and it's they're asking for it back. And of course, the rich asshole who bought it is like, you can't have it. It's mine. Um, And so there's a fight over who actually owns it and what the right thing to do is. And so they go and they ask for Mothra's help because Godzilla rises and uh, is destroying shit. And they ask for Mothra's help to defeat Godzilla and protect because they know Godzilla is coming for the egg and they want to protect the egg. And meanwhile, they're asking for the egg back. Um, Am I missing anything in this? Is that pretty? That's that's pretty thorough, Tad. I mean, it's it's not um, it's not Citizen Kane, uh, (laughs) but the plot is. I think this the plot is really good in this movie uh, in terms of uh, I th- what I really liked about it on this watch was the element of trust comes back again and again. Um, and it's not just between the uh, heroes and the um, Islanders, but it's also even between between the uh, two business partners, the the villains of the movie. Um, you, you mentioned the slimy guy who buys the egg, but the fact that he's just working for someone else who's even worse than him, I think that's a, a pretty cool detail um, in the film that, you know, he he's the, the face of the operation, but he's really being pulled. The strings are being pulled by someone else who is even more uh, greedy and uh, heartless. So I think that's a good thing to note. Michael mentioned that the screenwriter was Shinichi Sekizawa, and he wrote a lot of the best classic Toho science fiction movies. Um, Something that really characterizes his scripts is he has a very optimistic outlook. Um, he His movies are a little more lighthearted uh, and hopeful, and they always have these great characters, and their the characters' relationships are very believable, and frequently they're journalists and scientists as the heroes, and he's kind of the opposite of Takeshi Kimura, who was the other main screenwriter for Toho at the time, who wrote Rodan, who wrote Matango. Um, he tended to be a little more dour in his outlook on humanity <laughs> and uh, and wrote things almost more as horror movies, uh, whereas Sekizawa worked really well with Ashiro Honda because a theme that they both really brought to the forefront in a lot of their movies is what they call the brotherhood of man, where it's that element of trust that Michael was talking about earlier, that their whole thing is, you know, we need to put our differences aside and work together for the common good. And that's a, a really powerful thread that runs through all of, of their films. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, like I said, my knowledge going into this, I, I there was little things that I was like, I think I re- recognize this from somewhere, or I've seen, I've seen, I think I've seen the clip of the two little islanders that uh, show up in the office and they think that they're hearing voices at first. Uh, that scene was was actually sort of funny. I, I'm assuming it's supposed to be funny. Um, oh yeah yeah yep yep and and uh 
you know, I, I swear I've seen that somewhere. I don't know where I've seen it, but it looks familiar. But uh, it was it was like at the beginning, I was sort of like, is this going to be like goofy from this point on? And it's not like after that sort of initial scene where it's funny, you realize that, you know, they're just they're on a different island and they have a different culture. And it's it's sort of, you know, there, there's a lot of movies that are sort of like that, where the the big mean corporate guy comes in and steals. I mean, it's you know, James Cameron stole it for Avatar and, and it became a huge thing, but uh, you know, uh, big corporations coming in, but it's also like you think about the, the fishermen and you know, it's, it's everybody's greedy. Like they, it, it belongs to them, you know, and they feel like this, this egg, because it was in their water, it's theirs and they're going to try to make money off of it. And then, you know, it just keeps going higher, higher up. Like you said to uh, more and more dickheads who uh, are just feel like they can somehow monetize a living thing you know this egg and suddenly you give a shit about this egg that you don't even know anything about but it's interesting because it's more than an egg it's it represents something in this movie mm-hmm. but uh it, it's you know it builds up to the big fight at the end which had some really awesome scenes i just you know is it is it in this uh godzilla universe is it like often considered these the, the actual physical Godzilla like this is obviously much more beloved than, you know, a modern take where it's like CGI. Like I, I, I my limited knowledge, I know that I assume that the, the Matthew Broderick is like the worst considered the worst one, right? Like that's yeah, the one that's most hated. We sure. don't talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when and I, I've go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say when I went to G fest um, in 2019, I was shocked by how many people were publicly exclaiming that, they loved um, the Godzilla from 1998. And, you know, I just kind of sat there and let people have their peace. Um, but back when I was growing up on the forums, we called it Gino Godzilla in name only. <laughs> so, so that's how, that's how I remember that version of the, of the character. He's, he's not as beloved as the man in the suit is what I think you're getting at. Yeah. And I, I'm assuming it's sort of like, Halloween three, where a lot of it, it was hated. Now people are like ironically liking something, you know, people like is, is so hated that it's sort of cool and hipster to like claim that you like it, even if you don't now, is that probably accurate? I, I think also kids who were born after, cause you know, we're, we're getting up there in years. Um, there are kids who were born in uh, 1998 or 1999 who missed all the hubbub and they don't have the baggage that I do about the, the character. And they they see that the franchise survived after that movie came out. And, you know, Toho did uh, a couple of movies uh, afterward. And then we have the CGI um, Godzilla Millennium or I'm sorry, Godzilla Legendary series where it's an American studio making the film. So we they know now that the character survived that. And so to them, it might feel like, you know, this is kind of a cool monster movie and it's not um, it's not Godzilla, but it's kind of fun. But at the time, seeing this movie with like half the cast of The Simpsons in it and like a, a Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel take and, uh, you know, it, it feels just like an American blockbuster from that time. I, th- I think I can never really respect that movie or like it <laughs> uh, or, or the character, like the fact that they made Godzilla in that movie such a fucking wuss. is just uh, it's still frustrating to <laughs> Brian knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, I, I associate it with like I, I never even saw it, but I remember the Puff Daddy music video, the ta- Taco Bell Doritos and Pepsi um, tie-ins. You know, especially 
Taco Bell, you know, you could get a little stuffed chihuahua that would say here, lizard, lizard. Like, you know, I, I remember all that shit more than anything in the movie. I don't remember. I don't even think I've seen it. I've seen it on cable in parts, but I've never sat down and watched the whole thing. But at the time when was that 96, he said, or 98, 98. Yeah. Like I, I was at the, that was right around the time where I sort of had this, like, I was probably at my peak, like, if anything was uh, had like a corporate tie in, I probably thought it was sucked. Like it was, I was like listening to heavy metal and uh, Marilyn Manson and I was angry uh, teenager and hated everything. And I, I even got to the point where I was like, scream is too much of a mainstream horror movie. I don't like what it's doing. It's, Shit, it's dude. yeah. And, and I, obviously <laughs> years later, I love scream, but at the time it was just that attitude I had of like, you know, if it's mainstream and my friends like it or not my, my um, classmates, thought it was cool or if it's like on tv too much like music movies everything i was i just had that sort of attitude where it's like i'm not even gonna watch it because it's it probably sucks it has puff daddy on the soundtrack it sucks that's that's an understandable attitude to have especially when you're you're a teenager um i will say that yeah the marketing for that movie was fucking immense and rumor has it that it was so immense that they barely made their money um off of the film because it was it was like a decent hit like people remember it now as a flop but it did pretty good box office numbers um but the marketing was so huge that uh it really put a dent in the like the overall uh net earnings for the film and they never did a sequel probably for that reason and the fact that like the public kind of i i think honestly most people were like yeah this was kind of cool but i missed the the guy in the suit feel I don't know if you saw that, Brian, but I, I, I felt like I was hearing people say, like, I like the old movies better. Yeah, of, of course. And they actually did build some practical effects and even a creature suit for the 98 movie, which they wound up barely using any of. Sure. Um, but, I've, you know, we, we like to pretend it was a flop now because everyone wants to hate on that movie. But if you adjust for inflation, it actually made more money than the first legendary. Well, actually, both of the legendary Godzilla <laughs> movies. Yeah. Um, just because of that massive marketing blitz, but I, and people are a little more uh, forgiving toward the legendary movies because I mean, a they're just better all the way around, but b the creature looks more like Godzilla, and most importantly, instead of just being a completely CGI creation, there is a motion capture performer behind it, and the guy who plays Godzilla for the legendary movies is this cat named T.J. Storm who is a huge monster nerd. Like I've, I've met him a couple of times. I had dinner with him in Japan and he is just the most exuberant, enthusiastic, like getting to play Godzilla is the greatest thing that ever happened to him. And he knows it. And he's just so happy to be a part of it. So I, even though you don't ever see him on the screen, you can tell that there's a person behind it. And to know that it's a person who loves it so much, even though it's, in the end rendered with CG graphics. Um, it just it still gives it that sort of human touch, but yeah, there's, there's absolutely no substitute for a sweaty Japanese guy in a rubber suit. Um, yeah. in this case it's Haro and Nakajima, but you know, the big three are Nakajima, uh, Kenpachiro Satsuma and Tom Kitagawa. There have been other people who've played Godzilla in suits, but, uh, usually it's just a one-off even son of Godzilla. It was three different people in the suit. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, watching these movies as a kid really engenders a love of practical effects, mm-hmm. and and you know a lot of horror people who grew up in the seventies and eighties watching you know Rick Baker and Rob Bottin 
create these effects are kind of the same way. Like we just, there's something tactile about it that it's handmade. You can see the love, you can feel the energy coming out of it. And it's not just this blank lifeless thing that looks like a video game. Yeah, I always think about this, and I've said it on this podcast before, uh, I always think about this uh, interview I read with Simon Pegg, and he talked about showing his son the Star Wars movies, and he had never seen the originals, and he watched the originals, and then they got to the prequels, and he was like, what's with Yoda? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, he's not real. And he's and this <laughs> kid, you know, he could recognize that they had CGI'd Yoda, and he's like, he's not there, though. Like, it's a cartoon, and his, his little kid mind, like, unfiltered you know it's like i don't understand why in the old movies he was he was there on the set and now he's not like did did yoda die or something like his his <laughs> he, he, and it, it's so cool like the magic of those original star wars movies had him convinced that yoda was a real thing and then by the time the the newer more expensive movies came about he was like why why would they do that when they had it they, they in the old movies they could just do it and he was there like well to just, be fair uh, Yoda looks pretty shitty in the uh, prequels, uh, whereas in the original movies, they they did wor- work on him in post production after the fact. Like I'm assuming the kid watched the uh, um, special editions, unless Simon Pegg like got the literal original theater um, transfers. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he somehow had had a way to get to him because he he Probably. did a cameo in the. I don't remember which ones. Maybe I mean, the, I have the them. If I've got them, Simon Pegg can sure as hell get a hold sure. of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be a devil's advocate asshole here and say that he he looks really bad. Like, I'm. A, did you see the puppet in the original run of Phantom Menace? Uh, the puppet um, no. for Yoda? Okay, it. you should check it out on YouTube. It looks god-awful. And uh, I cannot believe that I forgot that thing existed. Brian, have you have you seen what I'm talking about? No, I oh thought my it God. was always CGI in the It was not. I didn't know they did a puppet first. <laughs> they did a puppet for episode one. Tad, you can probably delete this. <laughs> but they yeah, did, they did a, this is not Godzilla. The they, fuck they are did we a, talking about? I'll, I'm going to, trust me, I'm going to get it back to Godzilla. No, I won't. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there is a puppet in the uh, Phantom Menace for Yoda, and it looks completely lifeless and awful. Um, it's insane that like the 70s and 80s puppets for Yoda look so good. And then this one, he, he looks like honestly on drugs, like strung out on crack or something because his eyes are super wide, his nostrils. And you guys, once you see it, you'll remember it. You'll be like, oh, shit, it, this is how the movie used to look when I saw it in theaters. Uh, but I, I don't know. Sorry. No, the, the, the kid's story about, um, or I'm sorry, Simon Pegg's story is pretty cool because like I honestly worry that kids are always going to prefer nowadays the uh computer generated effects as opposed to optical effects or physical effects my kids don't (laughs) that's awesome because that's that's really heartening to hear because i again i i just um had this generalization that kids are always going to want flashy and you know computer generated but that gives me some some hope for future movie makers honestly yeah it's it's interesting to just hear that thought out of a like i said an unfiltered child's mind like that's as clear as you can get uh and, and proof that that you you can like no matter how hard you try there is having something physical on the screen will always win you know and the biggest compliment that people gave the legendary uh 2014 godzilla movie was that 
the CGI for Godzilla and the Mudos made it look like they were people in suits. That's that's like the best compliment that it got for the effects. Um, and it's it's true. Like the the best thing the Godzilla um, movies that are coming out now can do is do a good imitation of how um, the monsters used to look with this suitmation method. Yeah, because it's I think it's a lot of times it's the movement like you no matter how much they've tried, it's really hard to sort of capture natural movement of things, even if, you know, I mean, people, the fans have gone through seeing Godzilla as a person in a rubber suit. And so that's the movement that our minds are used to seeing. So when we see it move in a different way, that's you know how no matter how much they try, it doesn't it cannot feel the same. And I think. I remember the one criticism on the legendary one is people just were like, I just, it's hard to see Godzilla. We don't see enough of him, but maybe that helps in a way that, you know, the less we see of him, the less criticism we can have of the way he moves or how unrealistic or realistic it looks. You're listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Well, I've had both of you on the show before. I haven't really even introduced you. Um, so in my mind, I was just so excited to have you guys on that I just skipped straight into talking about the movie. Um, but you've both been guests in, uh, on different episodes, never together. But most people probably don't listen to all the episodes. So I do want to introduce you guys. Um, Brian Clark is my first guest, and he is a writer. He writes his own uh, material and also writes for several horror publications and uh i know that you know you've written about these movies and that's why i'm so glad to have you on the show because i know you're a huge fan you're passionate and actually my other guest michael roland who was on tammy and a t-rex episode uh is a musician and a fellow podcaster and also a huge godzilla fan and that's sort of how uh, I've been the middleman to introduce you guys to each other because I knew uh, Brian through Attack the Killer podcast, knew Michael Rowland through uh, the band Weezer. And then uh-huh. I was like, oh, I know two guys who are huge into Godzilla. They should know each other. And now, you know, you guys uh, met at, actually physically met at G-Fest when you could do that. Um, and I, I'm just glad to have you both on uh, doing this episode because, like I said, uh, you guys are both like... I, would experts be too much to say? Probably. Probably. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting um, on my pretend expert pants here. Yeah. but uh, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, you guys, if you dick, like if you put that much time and, and energy into, I know what you like, how much you guys know. Um, what's to say you're not an expert. I mean, who, I'm, I'm going to call you experts anyways. And uh, if you, if you're listening and don't agree with that, um, you can go away. But uh, <laughs> well, I'm first, flattered. yeah, first I'll go to Brian. What is your um, history? Like why, why Godzilla? Where's Where did this obsession start? And why do you love the franchise so much? Well, like any kid who grew up in the eighties, I love dinosaurs and uh, 
when uh, I was four years old, my mom rented Godzilla 1985 for me, uh, not knowing that it, that one is probably a little adult for a four-year-old. Not adult in any uh, weird, gross way, just it was scary. Um, thinking, you know, here's a movie with a dinosaur, he'll probably like this. And uh, I became obsessed. And I think they thought I would eventually grow out of it but they were very wrong. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now my house is full of Godzilla collectibles. I've seen all of the movies dozens of times. I have flown to Japan for Godzilla's birthday. Uh, it, yeah, it, it is definitely a lifelong obsession with me. So it's funny. We talked about the 1998 Godzilla because without that movie, my, my life would be totally different because if it wasn't for seeing a promo for that movie, um, at a theater in the Eden Prairie Mall, um, I might not have asked my mom to buy me Godzilla versus Megalon on VHS. And um, it's a weird entry point for the series, but um, I, I have a, a, a history of making weird entry points for things. Like my first Nightmare on Elm Street movie was Freddy versus Jason. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's also my first Friday the 13th movie. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, like Brian said, Kids who love dinosaurs, dinosaurs are the gateway drug. And then they, they move up to the, to the harder stuff like Godzilla. And um, there's just something awesome about seeing monsters like fight. I mean, let them fight, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're so, it's just a fantastical world that doesn't try to be quote realistic. And ever since I was ki a kid, I never got the criticism of like, oh, that's so fake. And that's a guy in a suit. And it's like, yeah, I don't care. Like when you go to see the circus, you know, it's not real. Or when you go to see uh, the circus is a really bad industry though. So maybe I shouldn't bring that up, but um, <laughs> there's, there's hyper, hi, not hyper reality. What am I trying to say? It's, it's a fantastical thing that doesn't try to be real. And it's just about like creating images that could never exist in this world. So like, there, there may be a scene where a giant mutated radioactive dinosaur slides on his tail and, and kicks an or kicks a cockroach in the stomach. Um, and it just, it's, it's fun, man. It, it's, it feeds a part of my soul that no other film franchise does. And so when I, when I make a list of like my favorite movies, usually a Godzilla movie isn't on there. Um, I think sometimes I put Mothra versus Godzilla on there because I just love this movie so much. But yeah, so I, I've been uh, a fan of Godzilla my whole life as well. And I don't foresee disliking it at any point. I think I'll always love the the big guy. Well, that scene in uh, this movie where Mothra is dragging him by his tail across the desert is pretty funny. Hell yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's of course, it's not realistic. Like some people would, would look at that and say, oh, that, that's not how it would look or like that looks kind of funny all sped up and it's like no it's awesome <laughs> that particular scene isn't uh sped up where he's dragging him by his tail that was not uh the godzilla suit they used miniatures for that so yep. the godzilla figure is obviously kind of a little stiff and clunky but the mothra that's doing the dragging the film's not sped up its wings really were moving that fast that was a leftover uh used in some of the flying over the sky in New Kirk City scenes from the 1961 Mothra film. And the mm. motor in that puppet could actually flap the wings that fast. So that's Holy why crap. they wanted to use that's why they wanted to use it for those 
those shots of it dragging Godzilla and there are a couple of other scenes where the wings are moving really quickly because they knew they didn't have to skip frame it. They could just crank that motor up and, and make it really move in that kind of furious, fast, aggressive uh, action. Yeah, Tad, there's something called, I think it's called high-speed motion uh, filming. Brian, is that right? Well, yeah, the, usually the the monster scenes would have been filmed at a higher frame rate than normal, yeah. so that when they played it back at normal speed, they moved slower. And it's to try and, to give the monsters a, a sense of, like, being larger than life and, uh, you know, right. ca- causing the ground to quake and all that. Um, but what I love about that scene that you talked about, Tad, is that for the close-up shots, you can see that the guy is in the suit. And I just love the shot of Godzilla clawing at the ground. Like, and he's so pissed. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I love about this movie is that they really nail the fact that Godzilla is so angry and he's, he's a pissed off animal in this movie. You know, he's, he just wants to do what he wants to do. And everyone's trying to, um, egg block him, you know, (laughs) egg block. I like that. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to ask you both a question, and I'll go with Michael first. Um, There's something about this franchise where there's no real casual fans. Either you're full in and you're obsessed and have an entire fucking house full of toys, or you just sort of know of the franchise. Maybe you've seen one or two of the movies, but um, it's just something that you know exists, but you're not a fanatic. Like, What is it about this franchise that people are so fanatical about? Hmm. Well, that's a a good point, Tad, because I... um... I've never really stopped loving Godzilla. I think there was maybe a two to three year period in high school where I didn't really let people know that I liked Godzilla and I was a little self-conscious about it. Um, but even even at the end of my high school tenure, I would have uh, watch parties with my friends and, and I would watch not just like fun Godzilla movies, but some of the more serious ones. Um, like, like Brian mentioned, there's one called Godzilla 1985 or... Godzilla and then parentheses 1984 or no, that's actually, it's actually in Japan. It's called the return of Godzilla. Um, and, um, it's just an incredible film series because there's so many avenues that they explore with this character. And there's, there's some people who might say, Oh, like I wish it had just been the first film that would, that would make it more respected and a, a classic or whatever. And you know what? Maybe they're right, but frick man, I would take, I would not give up like, anything from the sixties to have that perfect reality where there's no bad Godzilla movies. Um, for me, the, the series really provided a great escape for tough times in my childhood. Like, honestly, it helped me a lot when my parents got divorced and I think it's, it's always been sort of a safe place where I could go to. Um, which is funny, you know, cause like it's a, it's a movie series where cities get destroyed and Godzilla is a bad guy in some of them. He's, just a, he's an animal in some of them. He's a force of nature, um, but I'm always rooting for him. Uh, even even in the Shin Godzilla movie, where he's definitely a scary thing, like I'm still kind of rooting for him and feeling bad for him. Um, and even in this movie, when I was a kid, when Godzilla is getting beaten by Mothra and uh, or or the two larvae, like I'm still rooting for him and I'm pissed that he's losing. <laughs> I don't know. He's he's just been a, a source of uh, comfort for me, and um, I think a lot of people feel that way. Where it's like it's something you can turn on, and no matter how you're doing, it'll make you feel better. That's that's how I th- think about it. Is it sort of like um, 
an escapism like it's such a fantastical world and uh it's at times it can be very simple you can just sort of uh, shut off what bullshit you had during the day and turn this on and it's like a comfort thing. Yeah, and I, honestly, I can feel the love of everyone involved, in, at least in these films. Like, the practical effects for their time are incredible. And um, I think there's just, like, a lot of passion behind everything in, in most of these movies. Um, it gets a little more cynical in the 90s. They start doing a little bit more commercially-minded stuff, but, like, I, I don't know. I, I have three Godzilla posters in my house right now. One of them is Mothra versus Godzilla. The other is Godzilla versus Megalon. And then the other one is Invasion of Astro Monster. And like, those are both really, I mean, those are all like incredibly different types of movies. Like they, they explore so many awesome avenues. Like Godzilla goes to space, Tad, in, in the movie, not directly after this one, but uh, the it's the, the not the one after the one after this one. Um, and I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a really, like you said, you can put it on and forget about your day. And I think it's probably similar to your interest in wrestling where it's, you know, it's not real, but um, it doesn't have to be. And it's not trying to be realistic. It's trying to be something um, larger than life. And uh, it really honestly, still inspires my imagination. Like when I read about lost Godzilla films, I, I get such a, a kick out of that. And I love imagining those movies that never came out. And uh, I don't know. I, I always have a, a hunger for more Godzilla, uh, which isn't the case for certain film franchises or certain artists that I follow. Like at a certain point I become full with those things, but with Godzilla, it's like, I can definitely go for another sequel. <laughs> I, I, I can go for some more of that. Do you have any thoughts on that, Brian? Do you have anything? Yeah, it. <clears throat> I think a lot of it comes from when you first see them. Um, like both Michael and I were were kids when we saw our first Godzilla movie, and when it's something you grow up with, it becomes very much a part of you. Like Michael was talking about, a lot of it was for him escapism from from a difficult situation, and for me, you know, I saw my first Godzilla movie when I was four that was one of the, you know, you, you don't really have a personality very much of your own at that age. You were just kind of a sponge. So Godzilla fan was one of the first markers of my personality. You know, one of the first things that had developed that made me me as I was growing up. And uh, you, even though I knew it was a guy in a suit, I always kind of as a kid thought Godzilla was real out there somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so as you spend your life growing up with this character, and that's something too, that there's a painter named Bob Eggleton who he does lots of things, but he's one of the things he's most known for is Godzilla artwork. And he's fond of saying Godzilla isn't just a character and he's not just a monster. He's a concept. He's an idea. And that idea can be applied in different places. Like for example, this movie that we're talking about today is sort of an anti not even necessarily anti-capitalism but anti-greed and pro-humanitarian uh, kind of thing and you know sometimes Godzilla is a villain and sometimes Godzilla is a superhero and he's goofy and sometimes Godzilla is a terrifying horror character that is just bent on destruction Godzilla can be anything to anybody 
And I think that's what makes it such an enduring franchise. I mean, there are 35 of these movies. There are more Godzilla movies than maybe any other character in history besides Hercules and Dracula. Um, and, you know, th- there's a reason it endures, and it's because it's adaptable. If you don't like one Godzilla movie, the next one or five or three down the line might be the one for you, you know? Well, that's actually one of my questions I was going to ask you, because I, like I said, uh, this it felt weird doing not doing research for this episode, but I figured I could just ask you guys anything I was curious about, and it would be a lot easier and better to hear from you than uh, just, you know, reading on Google or whatever. But you said 35 films in the franchise. Yes, man. And, and how does that, how do they connect? Like that, this is probably going into the wormhole too much because, you know, we're <laughs> talking about one specific movie, but you know, I, I was just told, and within two movies from this, he goes to outer space. And I know, like you said, in Shin Godzilla, he's more of a, a scary, actually serious uh, character. But like the the name Godzilla, is it sort of like Amityville where people can just sort of plug him into any story and they don't have to follow each other? Yes and no. Um, I mean, the character is owned by Toho Studios and they are very strict about their licensing and they're very litigious if people use Godzilla without their permission. So it all has to be approved. Um, But the in the old movies there, I don't know that there was ever with maybe one or two exceptions, a very specific eye towards series continuity, but they all kind of just shared characters and they popped up here and there. And then in starting in 1984, that was what they call the Heisei series. Um, Those films had a very specific sense of continuity from 1984 to 1995. And then they rebooted it all again for the millennium series. And then Shin Godzilla is completely its own thing. So there are different continuities and they make, some sense with each other sometimes. (laughs) Okay. Like, so, so like having me jump into, jump into Mothra versus Godzilla, where does this one fall as far as the franchise goes? Like how, which number is this movie? Uh, This is number four. Yeah. In terms, in the franchise. And, uh, okay. There, there is sort of a loose, I, I know Brian mentioned that there's kind of not a continuity, but there's kind of a loose continuity with the Showa era up until, I would say, uh, All Monsters Attack. Would you agree with that, Brian? Where well, no, not even until like Destroy All Monsters. Really, um, it's not like they were intending to do it, but like you could hypothetically say, like that this was a story necessary. Like, yes, yes, I, I see where you're going with that, and there, yeah. and there are a couple in between there, like. Um... You know, Son of Godzilla only makes sense in the continuity and that Minya shows up and destroy all monsters, and so does Kumanga, <laughs> but they never specifically talk about why he's there or reference the events of that film. It's just, hey, we have this new character. We can throw that into the movie too. And they and, and a lot of it came down to which of these suits aren't falling apart that we can still bring back and not right. have to spend the money to build a new one. But for the first for the first th- three or four movies, they're there definitely is some more continuity. I mean, they, they reference the events of the first movie in the second one. Um, Godzilla appears in King Kong versus Godzilla 
in a direct reference to how he's defeated in Godzilla Raids again. Right. And then this one is more of a direct sequel to Mothra than it is to any of the Godzilla movies. In fact, it was originally going to be much more of a direct sequel to Mothra in that Godzilla was supposed to have been attacking Rolissica at the beginning of the movie. And instead it got rewritten to the point where he's just buried and washed up in the, in the aftermath of the hurricane. Well, it's funny you bring that up, Brian, because when I was doing research on this movie, it was actually originally going to be continuation King Kong versus Godzilla. So yeah. it was it was going to be a sequel to King Kong, King Kong versus Godzilla, and um, Godzilla was going to be the uh, the egg, you know, like he was going to be knocked out or presumed dead from his fight with King Kong, and he was going to be used as a uh, um, an exhibit for people, which you know seems like a really fucking bad idea. Um, but what happens is that King Kong goes on a rampage because he develops a friendship with this kid who gets uh lost in where he lives i don't know it's really weird but he um the kid is rescued and he he's a he's in a foster family and kong comes to tokyo to try to you know take his his foster kid back and uh they re uh revive godzilla and they fight so uh but then it became mothra versus godzilla and then like brian said in the first draft um godzilla was going to destroy how do you pronounce this, Brian? Rosilica? Rolissica. Rolissica. Damn it. Uh, Rolissica. Um, but yeah, it, it sort of had that written out. I think because they didn't want to have any references to America because Rolissica is a stand-in for America um, in the original Mothra film. Um, honest, honestly, I would say that the loose continuity probably ends at Invasion of Astro Monster, if I were to look at it a little closer, because... There's this is again going down the rabbit hole, but like Ghidorah the three headed monster has Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra fight King Ghidorah, and then an invasion of Astro Monster. They don't necessarily reference Ghidorah the, th- the three headed monster, but it kind of feels like a follow up to that story where it's yeah, Godzilla. the characters all know who Ghidra is, right? Right, and it's Godzilla and Rodan versus um, Ghidorah again. Um, gosh, how does that movie not feel like a retread when it's like some of the same characters? I guess because they bring him to space. That's why I feel it doesn't feel like a retread. Huh. Sorry, Tad. So, no, <laughs> Tad, I have a question for you now. We were talking about the special effects a little bit earlier, and we mentioned the one scene where Mothra's dragging Godzilla, and, and it, it looks a little more fake than some of the other stuff. Um, but what, what in general, since this, you said you've seen the first Godzilla movie, uh, but this is really your only other classic era one what what were your thoughts on some of the other effects work and the the guys the you know man in a suit style of of doing things i i sort of have a soft spot for this kind of stuff just because uh well obviously over the years i've seen these clips and used in memes and gifs uh you know in modern times like surely like i've i've you know they're they're memed and gift to death but um it's just endearing. Like, like Michael sort of said earlier about how you can tell the people making these are passionate and they love making these movies. You can, it shows on screen. It's really cool to just sort of see how things were done in that era. I mean, 64 is a long time ago and um, you know, things obviously, you know, we had the effects boom in the eighties and horror and stuff. And I think about the practical effects and what they became, but um 
I don't know. It's it's something endearing about seeing them use like miniatures and a guy in a suit. It's just to me, it's it sort of goes hand in hand with Godzilla. Like that's sort of what he's known for. You know, this this French to me in, in my mind, which I don't know as nearly as much as you guys, but don't know much at all. I always associate this franchise with um, rubber guy, rubber suit, a guy in a rubber suit uh, stepping on, you know, miniatures, basically. Right. And people now tend to mock these old sci-fi films and especially old Japanese sci-fi films for having cheap effects and they're cheesy and it's rubber suit, which the suits were rubber and people say cardboard buildings and that drives me insane because they're not fucking made of cardboard. But uh, people don't have the ability, it seems like, to separate, like you're saying, 64 was a long time ago. When this came out, it was state of the art it blew away anything coming out of any American studio or any other studio in the world uh, to, and th- this doesn't have so much to do with the monster effects, but with the integration of the fairies, the peanuts into the, the scenes with the, the regular size human characters. But A.G. Subaraya was using something called an Oxberry 1900 optical printer to, to make those composite shots and to give you an idea of how high profile these movies were at the time, it was the second one in the world in existence, period. And you know who owned the other one? Walt fucking Disney. Of course. <laughs> so <laughs> Disney and Toho were the only people who had access to this technology at the time. They sunk a lot of money into it. Um, Subaraya had visited the United States the year before this was made, and he toured Disney as part of that trip. And he saw this optical printer. It was like, oh man, He's, you know, his mind just exploded with the possibilities. I can do so much with this. And so he went back to Toho and was like, you need to buy me one of these things like right now. <laughs> and sci-fi films were Toho's bread and butter at the time. That was what was making them more money than anything. So they agreed and they they bought him one. And the, the amount of money, the popularity of Toho's science fiction movies in the 60s was part of what convinced American studios to start putting big money into sci-fi again, because it had been throughout the fifties relegated to, you know, cheap, low budget, you know, the, the stuff you see on mystery science theater, the stuff that's really considered a joke today, even more so than, than old Godzilla movies. And then in 1968, you get 2001, a space odyssey and planet of the apes, which were massive, big budget, a list studio things that brought sci-fi to the forefront and a big, driving force behind that was the fact they saw, holy shit, the Japanese are kicking our asses at the box office. Look what they're doing. And we're still using fucking sparklers and firecrackers for special effects. Yeah. Like you said, and it's, I think people are just so jaded and get used to the thing, like what the way things are that it's, and and it's also sort of like a Mandela effect, like you said about the cardboard buildings, like people have it in their mind that, you know, it, it just all looked hokey and like crap. So they make fun of it. Uh, but if they actually went back and watched a movie, they would actually realize how damn impressive it was, especially for 1964. Uh, the only thing, the only time I can sort of remember in a movie before this where they used uh and it's not obviously not as realistic and doesn't look as good, but it may, the scene with the fairies makes me think of um, Bride of Frankenstein mm-hmm. where they ha- have the little people. And I- I'm sure at the time, like people thought that was probably fucking like witchcraft. They probably freaked out <laughs> seeing that. 
but it was it was really cool. Like when they popped up in the movie, I'm like, you know, this looks really, really good for 1964. And obviously, like I said, when they're first introduced to those characters, it's it's sort of done uh, in a funny way. It has humor to it. And then we learn, you know, where they're from, what they're there for. And we sympathize with them and obviously rooting for them. But it's also interesting because even with my limited knowledge of Godzilla, I felt like in this movie, it's like, I, I guess we know from the title, we're going in knowing it's going to be Mothra versus Godzilla. There's, you know, spo- the spoilers right in the title, but it's like Godzilla just sort of comes out of nowhere. Like he just wham, bam, he pops out of the ground. There's no real backstory on where, why he's down there or what's going on. And yep. I don't think we really even need it. Like uh, even with my limited knowledge, I, I just, I know, you know, the origins of Godzilla. I don't need any explanation. Um, I'm just sort of waiting this movie out, waiting for him to appear. And finally, when he does, it's like, okay, there we go. And it was very simple. They just, you know, he pops out of the ground and, and we're right into it. Yeah. yeah. That's, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. I was just gonna, I always assumed he was just asleep in the ocean and got washed ashore and buried in, in mud and debris from the, from the hurricane that unearthed Mothra's egg. That's, that's what I always thought too. Um, but yeah, I think what Tad's getting at is that the exposition in this movie doesn't really cover like who Godzilla is or who Mothra is. It's just sort of like, um, like, like they say, and just so you know, this is Mothra's egg. And they're like, Mothra? And um, it, the movie kind of expects us to know who these creatures are. And uh, it's not like, you know, how every Batman movie has to show Batman's uh, parents getting killed. Uh, right they they don't they they have a little bit more confidence that people will like you know they'll they'll catch on to the fact that mothra is a deity and you know we do and they'll they have um confidence that people will catch on to the fact that godzilla is a rampaging force of destruction that needs to be stopped and we do and if people want to do more research on the character they can i think that these are at the forefront these are kids movies so they probably you know they, they want to tell a good story, but they don't want to weigh things down too much with like, here's this character, here's its entire history. And, uh, you, you know, it, it could have been an exposition exposition dump situation where it's like, there's there's 30, 35 of these movies. I can't imagine how annoying it would be if we kept having to be introduced <laughs> to who Godzilla is or why he exists. Like, you, you should probably know by now if you're watching, um, at, you know, movie number 30, let's say. So, Tad, you mentioned that um, when when the fairies are first introduced, that it's it's a funny scene, and it is at the beginning, and you weren't sure if it was supposed to be, and then you realized as it became serious, and they started telling their story and and why they were there, that it that it wasn't uh, it wasn't unintentional comedy, um, right. That it became a serious scene, and that that's something of uh, Sekizawa's script he wrote in humorous parts. Like he, you know, like I said earlier there, his movies are more lighthearted. And when there's a funny part in one of his movies, it's, it's there on purpose. And this movie actually has my favorite comic relief character in any Japanese science fiction movie, which is Yu Fujiki as Jiro, the reporter who's always eating the eggs because <laughs> he's so natural with it. It doesn't come off as mugging, which in other Godzilla movies and, and other Japanese sci-fi movies in general, there are sometimes there are cipher, uh, excuse me, the, sometimes there are comic relief characters that are 
kind of muggy and goofy. And I like that kind of stuff too. But in this, he, he's not a total dope. He contributes to the story. And my favorite example of that is when Jiro suggests that they ask Mothra for help against Godzilla after he's woken up and he's trashing everything and they're trying to figure out how to get the <laughs> egg away from Torahata and, and he's eating the egg and he goes, Oh, I've got it. Why don't we ask the thing for help that we'll get to why they call it the thing in a minute. Yeah. And then Murata, <laughs> the editor bangs his fist on the table and he just, and Jiro flinches like, Oh God, I'm in trouble. I said something dumb. And he's cause he, you know, he thinks he's going to get yelled at. And the Murata goes, that's a great idea. And Jiro asks him for a raise, and he just gets <laughs> glared down. That's <laughs> so good. Well, what's you said you were going to get to uh, why he calls it the thing? What? So why is it called the thing? Oh, go ahead, Michael. Yeah. Well, this this film in America was bought by Henry Saperstein, um, who was a film distributor uh, in the '60s, and um, he. He would play a bigger role in future Godzilla films, but he he bought this and he sold it to Brian. Do you know who he sold it to? AIP. Okay, AIP, and they they did something that was kind of crafty, kind of smart, also kind of like what the hell. Um, they marketed this film and uh, gave it the title Godzilla versus the Thing, and so in the uh, movie posters and in the TV spots or whatever. Um, they said, you know, Godzilla fights his most, you know, fearsome foe yet. Who is the, th or what is the thing? Um, Tad, if you look up the movie posters, there's one where Godzilla is fighting like a multiple tentacle giant creature with like a, they have this square with a question mark covering the creature. And um, it's basically trying to build up mystery. Like what is this disgusting monster Godzilla is going to fight? Um, yeah, that's one of the most legendary movie posters in all of exploitation, painted by the great Reynold Brown, who did the uh, poster for Creature from the Black Lagoon and The Brain That Wouldn't Die and a ton of other great sci-fi movies. It's a great, great ad campaign. Um, not sure it did the movie any favors necessarily, but um, there are TV, like I, I watched some of the trailers for the Godzilla vs. The Thing um, dub. And Mothra is in the trailers just briefly. You can see, you can see Mothra. Um, so... You know, it was it was cute, but um, I mean, honestly, I, I can't really criticize it. It did it did its job, right? So, but yeah, that's why it. Um, Brian mentioned it was called the thing. Did you guys watch the dub version of this film? I watched the Criterion release that has the uh, subtitles on HBO Max. Okay, I watched the uh, I watched subbed as well. Um, Brian, sounds like you watched I dubbed. Well, I mean, I've seen both, but I, I watched the, uh, the the dubbed for this one because the uh, classic media DVD release is the one the the US release version is the one that's got the commentary track on it. And I wanted to Steve Rifle and Ed Gajashevsky, who wrote Ashiro Honda's biography. Um, and I, I wanted to revisit that commentary track. But so you you should, though, go back and listen to the dub because this is actually a really, really good dub. That's another thing that people make fun of uh, in Japanese genre films, aside from the special effects, is, oh, they're badly dubbed and the mouth movements don't match the but whatever. This is the movie you should show them to shut them the fuck up. <laughs> uh, this one and, and a lot of the Showa ones were dubbed by Titra Studios. 
who, if you've ever watched any, uh, like speed racer or anything like that, you've heard the voices of these teacher studios, uh, voice actors and, um, the international dub, like when, when Toho would make a movie, they would want to release it to foreign markets to make money, obviously. So they would send it to a dubbing studio, typically in Hong Kong with English speaking actors who would make what they called the international version. They would do a, an English language edit and they are uniformly terrible. Yeah. Those <laughs> so, are bad dubs. So quite frequently, not so much in the, in the, 90s and beyond at which point no one gave a shit about anything but the bottom line but back in the 60s and 70s when people still cared at least a little bit about quality a lot of the american studios that would buy these movies for distribution in the states would hear these international versions and go jesus christ this is terrible and they would hire another outfit often teacher studios but sometimes others who would redo the dub and so and that that's another thing uh talking about the enduring love for these movies. And, and when you grow up with them as a kid, you know, these, these old AIP dubs, these teacher studios dubs. And so when I watch, if I, as an adult watch one of the international versions of an older movie, it sounds wrong because those, those dubs, the, the vocal ticks and the, and the little idiosyncrasies of those, those old dubs are so much burned into my brain that it just sounds wrong <laughs> if I hear somebody other than uh, um, was it Peter Fernandez or Paul Fries or somebody like that uh, doing the, the voices. So they sort of set the uh, bar really high and did a good job and, and you're used to them. It's like, it's like uh, that's just sort of the voices you associate with them. So right, exactly. that's interesting. Cause I've never really heard, a defense or even anyone sort of say anything good about any dubbed uh, version of a movie. I know people that will just do it because they hate subtitles, but um, in the film world, it's sort of everybody sort of looks down their nose at anybody who doesn't want to read subtitles. And it's just, I'm glad that, uh, you know, there's actually such a thing as a good dub out there for something like this. And that's interesting. In this dub, um, in the '60s, they got into the practice of uh, chopping up Godzilla movies um, to make them more palatable for American audiences. But this one is actually pretty much uncut. I think they they got rid of the ending shot of um, the main characters waving goodbye to the Mothra larva, um, and they got rid of like maybe ten seconds somewhere else. But it, it's mostly like a pretty um, shot for shot unedited Godzilla movie, which is rare. For In this. fact, this is being comic book guy, pushing my glasses up my nose here. <laughs> actually, um, actually the American version of this one's a little bit longer. Um, the scene where they attack oh, yeah. Godzilla with the, when they attack Godzilla with the frontier missiles, that's only in the dubbed American version. Um, even to this day, it's never been added back into a Japanese cut because it's speculated that Toho is maybe uncomfortable with a scene of Americans using military power on Japanese soil. Yeah. So the scene where the Americans are, are bombarding Godzilla on the beach from battleships is just in the American cut. And because this was sold to AIP, that footage of the missiles launching off the ships was reused uh, a couple of years later in the climax of one of my favorite comedies, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine with Vincent Price. Hmm. 
they re- reused it in a non-Godzilla movie? Yeah. That's fascinating. Just a good special <laughs> effects shot. The, yeah, the, yeah there's, there's no shots of Godzilla. It's just the ships right. launching the missiles, but yeah. Toho this does is that. why I I'm have sorry. you guys on here. No, I was just going to say, this is why I had you guys on as guests. Yeah, Toho does that with a lot of their movies, um, where there's a shot from um, Nostradamus' Last Prophecies, I think is the title of the movie. Uh, or the last prophecy of Not- Nostradamus. What? Yeah, that movie has like sixteen different titles. But I, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what you're talking about? Yeah, there's a shot of uh, cars on a on a freeway, and basically one car is like frantically trying to get out of the city ahead of everyone else, and he causes this gigantic um, explosion of cars because of his you know idiotic driving, and that's been used in so many Toho movies because it's just an incredible special effects sequence. So. Um, that's cool that I never knew that about AIP, um, doing that with that shot. The, uh, the Americans versus Godzilla scene. It's interesting. A lot of the fans don't seem to really care about it that much, but when I showed this movie to my friend, Johnny, he, um, when he talked about it to me afterward, cause I didn't watch it with him. He mentioned that scene as one of the highlights of the movie. Um, for me, I, I, um, I didn't really miss it when I watched the Japanese version, um, yesterday, but. You know, it's it's cool to have. I I I wish more Godzilla movies did that. Honestly, if they wanted to do like, if they wanted to add in Americans to a Godzilla movie, have it have them interact with Godzilla. You know, but this is the only one, as far as I know, that they uh, shot additional special effects footage with Godzilla and American actors. Or sorry, at an American. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Well, I mean, they didn't shoot that footage in America. It was it was still shot by Toho. They just oh. Up not, they just wound up cutting it out of the American release or out of the Japanese, Japanese release. release. I mean, cool. Yeah. I had no, I thought for some reason that they like gave an American crew, like they gave them a Godzilla suit that they could use. And then I don't know. I, no, I, that, that is the, the sort of unsung history of, of Godzilla raids again, how it almost that's became what volcano was. monsters. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking of that. I think. That's a whole other podcast episode. I was going to say, we're so in the weeds. Every single person that listens to Tad's show has just shut this off. Well, <laughs> I, I've point. been wanting to say um, that, you know, you you brought up uh, how people talked about these movies. And um, a lot of it is because they're not American movies, I think. They're sort of a, I think that's why they get more guff about the special effects, where it's like, oh, yeah. these crazy movies from Asia, you know, and they, they're, they're dubbed so horribly. Um, first of all, when they did have bad dubs, that's not the fault of the Japanese actors. That's the fault of the, um, like American studios. Obviously I'm not talking about the international dubs, but if, if you are talking trash about the dub, like it's, it's, it's like just this anti-Japanese sentiment that I, I feel like was around a lot in those times, you know, like these films would get trashed in the reviews, um, when American sci-fi pictures would be, you know given pretty good reviews. And a lot of times they'd say, oh yeah, the Japanese suitmation technique is so crude. Uh, it's nothing compared to the, um, you know, technique of uh, stop motion. Um, so I, I don't know. I think a lot of it does, it's a cultural thing. Um, and it, it's it's sort of gone by the wayside now, um, at least in terms of when people talk about these movies. I don't know. Yeah. When I was a kid, I actually thought the Japanese people spoke English. Their mouths just moved differently. <laughs> I remember going to uh, Disney World when I was uh, like six or seven, maybe, and there were Japanese people there speaking Japanese to each other. 
And as a little kid, like I still vividly remember like, that's so weird. What are they doing? <laughs> like I've seen Japanese people talk and they still, they speak English. Their mouths just move differently. You know, that's funny. I had no idea Bruce Lee movies were dubbed uh, when I was a kid. I just thought he talked in an interesting way. Like there's this one where Bruce Lee says um, in the English dub, this time you're going to eat paper. Next time it's going to be glass. And, and we all laughed and we're like, God, this guy talks so funny. <laughs> and then, and then in enter the dragon, he's actually, you know, he's speaking the English dialogue and it's like, Oh, that's his real voice. Okay. Maybe, maybe that wasn't really him talking in the old movies. Sorry, Chad. Edit point. No, <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, you know, that's what I love about podcasting is that we don't have to stay strict on the topic. Cause you know, it's, it's like we're just sitting around talking about these movies. Cause it, it made me think of like when I first got into Italian horror, that was really confusing. Cause sometimes oh, their mouth, yeah does line up and sometimes it doesn't it's like <laughs> what, what the fuck are and and still to this day like i showed nikki the original suspiria around halloween and she was like are they speaking english or are they not like what's going on with this it's I, like yeah i love that about italian horror movies though for some reason i it used to drive yeah. it used to drive me nuts like i was like oh i'll just get the subtitled version and it's like no there isn't one <laughs> it's not gonna you're gonna you're gonna be looking for that for the rest of your life amigo <laughs> um tad we haven't really asked you any questions, so I want to ask you, Godzilla and Mothra are both characters that I just love dearly. So I'd like to know what you think of these characters. Like, wh- yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts about old Godzilla? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I really enjoy this. Um, I I find, in general, the franchise so overwhelming. Like, I you, when you say 35 films, it's like, I'm glad that you gave me a starting point like that. You've, you've shown me the high bar. Um, now I'm a little afraid to dig in because you know, where do I go from here? I've heard, uh, I've had several people tell me, you know, check out Shin Godzilla. Um, yeah, like you, because that, that one has no continuity for you to worry about either. So if you a get lot into of the that movies one, have no completely standalone, well, right. But, but yeah, Shin, Shin isn't even connected to the first Godzilla movie really. It's like, uh, is that the only one that's sort of completely standalone, no connection to anything? Other than the Netflix anime, yes. You can skip that. See, now we're getting... <laughs> that's what's so wild about this franchise. It's like, uh, p- people always talk about like the slashers, you know, how Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees will never die. Like, they just keep coming back to life. But Godzilla, man, 35 movies, uh, anime series, I mean... Kids are born and they they grab a dinosaur toy and they smash things with it because of Godzilla. Mm-hmm. You know, we it's like we're born with that somehow ingrained in us. Even if you haven't seen a movie, it's just part of part of our culture. But um, you know, as a bad pun, he's he's, he's a monster in our our uh, mythology. But yeah, Godzilla. I don't know. Um, I I just don't know. Like I said, it's just so overwhelming trying to dive into this i just uh, they they the criterion box set does that have pretty much everything in it that's uh, just the show of films yeah okay see like and how many how many show of films 15 there? 15 okay like it feels like i'm so far behind in this race like do i even well m- make that run or so the thing i would say is that it's not a race you can uh watch these movies whenever you whenever you want 
And so the common wisdom is that like this era that we're talking about is the golden age, but that does not mean that um, the other movies are not worth watching. And in fact, you might get more enjoyment out of the next movie in the series than this one. Um, you, you might really love uh, the Heisei era because there's beam wars. Um, you might really love the Millennium series because every movie, for the most part, reestablishes the continuity besides the original Godzilla film. Um, the Shin Godzilla film is great for anyone. Um, it's a standalone thing that's like almost, I'd, I'd say it's almost a masterpiece, honestly. It's a really great movie. Um, I think that Godzilla is something that should be fun, done at your own pace. And it's not, it's not like this daunting. I mean, obviously I'm not telling you how to feel, but for me, um, it was more like a fun, like which direction is the series going to go next? Um, and, and it's, it's just fun. It's, uh, you don't have to worry about like, am I watching this in the right order? You could watch a, a Heisei movie um, tomorrow and get just as much enjoyment out of it as you got out of this. I think like it's um, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a joyful thing. And to me, you, you also could love the seventies movies just as much as these. Um, uh, I don't know. I think I'm sort of rambling here, but well, well in those, get in into those the 35... movies and stay the fuck out of the fandom because it's toxic and evil. Oh, come on. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I think that I've, I don't know, I've experienced worse fandoms just this week. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really not, I don't know, I don't want to reveal too many things about myself here. But the Godzilla fandom is, I think the worst part about it is that a lot of them are children using the internet. Um, and um, And then the old boomers who are Godzilla fans tend to get really intolerant about certain things. But um there, there's a nice swath of people in the middle, like me and Brian, who are pretty chill dudes and pretty chill uh, gals and uh, chill, you know, whatever gender identity you um, identify as. Um, I, I don't know. Some, I think the, some I, chill Muppets out there. <laughs> I love the Muppets, man. Um, the Muppets are great. Dude. Yeah. Let's talk about Muppets next. All right. So <laughs> Muppets take Manhattan. No, no. But anyway. I guess for me, I, I totally get where you're coming from, Tad, about like when people recommend me a new TV show, especially an hour long show, I freak out like I could never watch Lost. That just sounds too daunting, like to have this giant story and long episodes every uh, every every season's like so many hours of content. But for Godzilla, it's more just like, let me turn my uh, cynical part of my brain off and watch some sweaty Japanese actors tussle with each other or a sweaty Japanese actor tussle with a, uh, wire controlled moth. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, Brian, what, what do you have to say about that? Well, yeah, here's something. And this'll lead me into the next question I had for Tad about this too, is you don't, I understand that can be intimidating because there's 66 years of history of this series and there are 35 films, but you don't need to know the lore even the movies that do have some continuity, it's really not that important. Yep. You can jump in anywhere and you aren't going to feel that lost. And if you are specifically, <laughs> you've got us to reach out to and ask questions. It's true. But <laughs> along with just recognizing the monsters and enjoying the scenes of destruction, especially with the Showa films, um, you've got a, a stable of actors because of the studio's contract system at the time. 
they kind of become like old friends because a lot of these movies have the same cast or some of the same cast. They share them back and forth. Um, and so that was going to be a question that I had for you since, you know, you've talked so much about the special effects and everything since you watched the subtitled version. So you got the actor's original performances. What did you think of the cast in this one? Because to me, not to put any pressure on you, this is one of the best casts any Godzilla movie has ever had. Yeah, well, it sort of goes back to what you were saying about everybody's stereotype of the bad overdubs and um, fanatical acting over the top, uh, probably racist stereotypes of the Japanese people. I remember, you know, probably as a kid, um, people when they would do, you know, talk about Godzilla as kids, like they would do the awful Asian accent, you know, and, and sort of make fun of that culture. Um, and then as an adult, when I finally am actually sitting down and watching them, uh, to enjoy them, it's like, Oh, why is that stereotype there? Like, this is really great. And like you said, uh, I think it has a lot to do with, um, more so with other studios doing like Americans doing bad overdubbing more so than the performances in this movie. Like we didn't even really talk about the, characters like deep dive into the characters there's a photojournalist and she's sort of the the lead in this and she's really great um sort of sets it up at the beginning she's taking pictures of after this uh typhoon or or uh hurricane hits and the guy who owns the the land is very protective of it he's like what do you why are you taking pictures stop taking pictures of the bad things you know and it's sort of like not to like again not to get political but it's like sort of um, reflective of our modern times where our president is out to make the media look bad for showing how things are really happening. Like don't portray me to be bad. Well then don't do bad things. Like, you know what I mean? And it was uh, interesting to see, like I, I connected to characters, even though I'm reading subtitles and it's, it's just a Godzilla movie. There's, there's something under it and it's, and it's more so than the the effects and smashing and stuff. It took a while to even get to that point. Um, and I don't know. It just, I felt for the, the people, the natives on the Island who were trying to protect Mothra and were wanting their egg back. Um, it was really good. Like this is a great cast. This is great performances out of them. I, I really did enjoy it. Yeah. yeah well, the, go ahead. One thing that Honda and Sekazawa love is they love having a scientist or a um, journalist or photo they, they really respected people who were um, working for the people and trying to get um, things done and for the greater good as they saw it i i love the way this movie portrays um the press like it's not preachy or anything but it's really cool that they're kind of heroic in this film particularly the photojournalist who she is the one who gets um the Islanders to help out. And that whole sequence where um, they're waiting for Mothra to help against Godzilla. I love that. That's neither here nor there, but um, I like her. And I like the fact that um, her boss, you know, at first he doesn't stick up for her in the beginning, but he does stick up for her later in the movie. And that's kind of cool. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with you and Brian that the actors in this film are, are really good. And um, it's really not just about, um, about smashing stuff like there is a common theme in this movie about trust and about greed and um yeah even even that um like you mentioned that guy who they're taking pictures of the construction site um 
I just love that he he it reminds me again of our current administration where there's just been this horrific national or natural disaster. And he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. It'll open right on time. You know, (laughs) everything will open up by Easter. Don't worry. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. (laughs) COVID will just disappear. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I think this movie is actually totally like it's held up really well on the themes that it's it's talking about with the press and the. Um, greed you know the greed is a theme that's going to be you know great in, in no matter how long it's been since the movie came out there's going to be there's always going to be greedy fucks out there but hopefully uh they'll get theirs in the form of karma maybe in the form of godzilla hopefully like the guy in this movie <laughs> that scene tad you gotta you gotta you gotta admit that scene's really great where godzilla appears over the mountain um and the guy's like shit i gotta get my money um, that, yeah, he's looking, look, looks out the window and sees Godzilla. Like, imagine that everyone's worst nightmare. Yeah, like I, I love that scene that he literally looks out his window and sees Godzilla coming over. It's like, oh fuck! And he like, chooses, it, he chooses money. He chooses, in that moment instead yep. of just running out of there for his life, he still is so attached to his money um, that that's what kills him. And that scene, the uh, Torahata, the main villain, that's uh, he was played by Kenji Sahara, who up until that point typically played heroic roles. Mm-hmm. And so this was kind of against type for him at the time. And uh, he's in more Toho sci-fi movies than just about anybody else who wasn't in one of the monster suits. Um, that death scene he has in this is kind of atypically violent for yeah. these movies at the time. Like later on into the 70s, they get kind of gory. But at this point, Eiji Tsuburaya, um, he, he loved children. He knew, even though Honda and... To an extent, Sekizawa and, and definitely uh, Kimura were sort of, no, we want to keep these kind of adult and have important themes. But Tsuburaya just wanted to entertain children with, with rubber monsters. Um, so he, he kept the violence to a minimum. But this death scene was actually Sahara's idea. He came to Honda and said, I want to get my nose all bloodied when I fight uh, Kumiyama. And then I should die trying to escape with my money. And and Honda was kind of surprised at that. He's like, you know, you're going to ruin your cool guy image if you do that, right? Sahara's like, I don't care. I'm all in for this. That's awesome. And and it's that it's great that he did that because it really helps drive home the theme of the stupidity and evil of blind greed mm-hmm. and loving money over people and over nature and over anything else that you know is kind of the the main theme behind this whole movie that scene is just the as you say godzilla essentially is playing karma in in that scene it's it's one of my favorite uh, moments in the series honestly um feels kind of darkly comedic too and um what i i think great art is made um when there's maybe two opposing forces that sort of keep each other in balance and so for the godzilla series it sounds to me like those two script writers or story writers or whatever that you brought up earlier, where one is more um, uh, cynical and the other is more about brotherhood of man and helping each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Subaraya and um, who's, who's someone who wanted to keep it more adult. Uh, Honda. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Sub- didn't, Subaraya. didn't want to make children movies. I know that Subaraya, there's a famous scene where Godzilla dances in uh, one of the upcoming movies. and he That's wanted... Astro Monster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he, that was definitely Subaraya that wanted that. Um, but yeah, I think that those two opposing forces, when one side isn't like so clearly winning, and instead everything's in perfect balance, I think that's when you, you get like really great stuff like this movie. Um, 
But then when things start going in like one person's favor too much, then it can create something kind of imbalanced. Like, um, I don't, I don't know, like some of the later Godzilla films, <laughs> they definitely were just straight, straight, straight up kids movies. No real themes like this or deeper messages. Although one I will eternally go to bat for is Godzilla's Revenge. Everyone dismisses that as the the kiddiest of kiddie movies, and it's it's one of the deepest and most personal Godzilla movies that Honda ever made. Yeah, it's but, it's. But I we, respect. We're not it. here to talk about that, but um, I respect that movie. I I don't know when I'll ever rewatch it, but I of course I respect it, and I'm not going to say it fucking sucks. But <laughs> I I went to a panel at G Fest about it, so I, I learned a lot about Japan at that time. Um, Mm-hmm. Brian, your former pr- professor spoke at that panel. Um, yeah, she, she did a great job. Um, any, anyway, yeah. So I I love this movie, but the thing I want to say to Tad is that, like, in terms of quality, you're you're not going to see like a huge drop off in the next few films. I think you're you're going to enjoy all of them at this level, if not more. I think with Godzilla, I I don't want to say anything too. I don't want to promise the moon, but. Um, for me, I've enjoyed pretty much every Godzilla movie I've watched. And then I worry about the quality later. Um, they're just, they're just really fun. Unlike any other movie franchise I've ever watched. I think the only Godzilla movie I've never finished and, um, didn't find any joy out of was Godzilla versus Megaguirus. And that's from 2001 or no, 2000 in Japan. It came out in 2000, right, Brian? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I've never finished that one. I don't really don't really plan to, f- to finish watching it, but which that is the third of only three Godzilla movies to feature Yuriko Hoshi, who was Junko, the photojournalist that you were talking about liking in this one. She was also oh. in Gator, the three headed monster, which was immediately after this. And then years later came back in Godzilla versus Megaguirus. Um, she was kind of an, basically the Japanese version of Annette Funicello. She did a lot more romantic and comedy films. So it was not real standard practice to see her in a sci-fi flick, but hmm. Well, maybe I'll finish it. No, I probably won't. Uh, it's it's real bad. Yeah, That's, that might be my least favorite one. Too. That's cool though, because then I, I I feel like we connect on that. For for my money, for my money, a lot of people think that the follow up to this one is maybe more rushed, um, but it may be my actual favorite Godzilla movie, uh, Ghidorah the Three Headed Monster or Ghidra the Three Headed Monster. His name is pronounced a lot of different ways, but. Um, it's it's a turning point for the series. I'll just say that. And um, it's just a spectacle. I think it's a, an awesome movie. And um, I've watched that one probably more than any other Godzilla movie. So even though I can probably admit that Mothra versus Godzilla is a better film, uh, I, I love that one a lot. And the one, the one that comes after it, too, is also on a comparable quality level for me. Well, Brian, what's your favorite of the franchise? <sighs> That's like asking me which my... F- which kid is my favorite? That's um, <laughs> I, I don't know that I could say I have a single favorite, but um, some of my favorites, I love Shin Godzilla, despite the icky politics. I love this one's great. Um, the 1974 Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla, which I actually got to see in the theater as a kid was amazing. The original, of course, is a lot of times when you talk to a Godzilla fan, you say, what are your top five, top 10, whatever Godzilla movies? It's kind of an unspoken, like, forget the first one because that's everybody's favorite. You know, that's, that's always going to be the gold standard, but um, 1989's Godzilla versus Biollante 
Godzilla 1985 because it was my first one. That's the one I've probably seen more than any other. Um, and talking about, you know, knowing the dub back to front, like I could recite that movie, like I could put it on and speak every line in the movie along with it. Um, yeah, there's just, there, there's something to love in, in really in all of them. Even the ones that, so like we were talking about trash on Godzilla versus Megaguirus a minute ago, but there's a really cool scene in that where one of the uh, anti-Godzilla task force people winds up stuck riding Godzilla as he's swimming through the ocean. And it's a really cool <laughs> shot. There's, there's always something good in any of them, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some people who hate certain eras of Godzilla movies. These are hardcore fans on forums, Tad. So, you know, you know how it goes. Um, yes, but, I do. But I, I love every era of Godzilla movies. Um, I love Heisei. I love the Millennium series. I love, and that's not me being a sycophant. Like I, I, there's certain films where I'm like, oh yeah, that one really isn't so great, Al. But um, I, <laughs> I don't know. I just love, I love getting any chance to spend time with this character. And for me, some of my favorites are um, Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster, as I discussed, Mothra versus Godzilla. Um, I love uh, Godzilla versus Gigan actually which is oh hell yes which is one that's not not a popular choice necessarily um return of godzilla and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna throw it out there um godzilla tokyo sos uh has a lot of reused stuff from certain like from mothra from mothra versus godzilla but i don't know it's just like a really i think i have a lot of nostalgia because that's the last godzilla movie that came out uh where i was a huge fan and i enjoyed it um and then the series took a little break after that. Um, there was a movie following that one, which I did enjoy, but it was like for, it's called Godzilla Final Wars. And again, that's one where we could do a whole episode on how complicated my relationship is with that one. Um, it's a really weird movie. It's like a Matrix ripoff meets uh, Godzilla Destroy All Monsters meets... Um, Meets a giant pile of cocaine. Yeah, it's really fucking weird. <laughs> they got the weirdest, like, who who is the musician for that film? The composer was someone from yeah, Keith Emerson. Yes, right from Emerson Lake and Palmer. Emerson yeah. Lake and Palmer. Okay, um, but yeah, no, there's, I I don't know. And here's the thing: my top five will be different any day you ask me. Um, and yeah. that's that's why I say to you, it's not like. It's not like the jump between season one of Twin Peaks and season two, episode nine of Twin Peaks. Um, the, the, the jump from this movie to the next one. It's it's a lot of great stuff. It's a fun franchise. So there, well, I will go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say there are a couple of last little things about Mothra versus Godzilla I wanted to touch on. We talked some about the cast, but and we mentioned the fairies or the Eilinas or the Peanuts as they were. Uh, called in their singing duo um but we never really touched on uh emmy and yumi ito who were massive massive stars like bigger than even the toho movie stars that were in the movie they had crossover popularity into the united states they appeared on danny Kay and ed sullivan um and when they were discussing getting them to do their lines in unison like they do in the movie it turns out they just did that in real life. <laughs> so it was a real easy thing for them to translate that to the screen. But yeah, the um, everyone 
who's ever heard of Mothra knows about the twin fairies. And of course, you know, stardom in the sixties doesn't mean much now, unless you're, I don't know, rock Hudson or somebody who people still recognize. But, uh, as, as far as Japanese stars from the sixties go, they could not possibly have found a bigger draw than Emmy and Yumi Ito to be in Mothra and in this movie. It's interesting you say that the, them talking in unison was just something they did naturally, Brian, because the thing that I was struck by on this watch was just how good they are at it. And then it's not like they had to cut so that like the next shot would be them talking in unison. There would be someone, someone would be talking to them and then they would reply in unison. Like they're very good. I mean, their performance was really good. I, I think. Yeah. So were they obviously real life twins? Yes. Um, and very, were they on like us TV before this movie? I don't know the exact timeline of when, but I, I feel like they, they, they were big enough in Japan at the time. They probably would have still been, they would have been known over here. And, and the original Mothra movie came out in 1961. So there were three years between the two, the two movies. Um, but yeah, people would have known who they were and they were, they were singers first and, actors second so you know the the songs that they perform in the movie that's really them singing okay and were the songs like their songs or songs written for this movie they were written for this movie um the song that they sing standing on the sort of last green unspoiled place on infant island that hasn't been ravaged by radiation that sort of very pretty but very melancholy song that's called holy spring and that was written by akira fukube the the composer for this the main the the prayer to mothra that they sing to wake her up that was from the original mothra and that was written by uh, koji yuki and it was written originally in japanese and then he took it to uh, tokyo university uh, and had it translated by a student there into indonesian just to make it you know have a little more of an exotic flavor to it interesting yeah the score we we haven't touched on the score but yeah that that was the other thing i wanted to get to not to tell you how to feel tad but like the score for this movie is fucking awesome and uh if you don't like it then like end the pod right now man (laughs) (laughs) we're not we're not going to be able to talk to you i think brian and i are probably in total agreement here um there's a, a score or there's a section of the score at the end that's like this eight minute opus that's like a mix of godzilla's theme and mothra's theme and um, I don't know, Ifakube, uh, his name's Akira Ifakube, he does the best scores. Um, I think they're some of my favorites ever in terms of uh, film. Um, he just, he he didn't treat these movies as just monster movies. He, he did great work and um, was always doing his best. And uh, that's apparent. We, we talked about how everyone involved is passionate. And um, that's clear when you listen to the score that Ifakube really you know, was giving top shelf work and he was someone who stuck, stuck with the franchise for a long time. And they brought him back even in the nineties, um, for, for the Heisei era. But I think Brian, you were going to say something about the score. Yeah. Basically what you just said, he's hands down my favorite film composer. Oh yeah. Um, he, you know, a lot of times the themes will get recycled and, and not just the character, you know, there's Godzilla's theme and there's Mothra's theme and they, they come up throughout the movies, but, his music is the most evocative of any I can think of. I mean, you hear dun, 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 you think Jaws. 
And when you hear bum, 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 you see Godzilla in your mind immediately. The music is just so inextricably linked to the imagery. And it makes the monsters seem so much bigger, so menacing, so powerful, so much more real. Even though you know they're guys in suits. And we went, you know, were talking about that earlier when we were little kids. We kind of always maybe thought in the back of our mind somewhere Godzilla was real. And having that huge bombastic music behind it, I think is a really big part of that. It really adds this element of life and power and realism to these movies that you wouldn't get if it was anybody else writing this music yeah the other thing i noted um while watching this that is instantly recognizable and links to godzilla like you could i could just close my eyes and know is that screech like his his growl screech scream what what, what is that is there like a name for it screonk that's, <laughs> that's, that's like, how the onomatopoeia is written out in the comic books anyway yes <laughs> i used to make my friends so uncomfortable when i would uh <laughs> let them know that that's how the the roar was spelled out in the comics um that yeah you would call it a roar i would say right brian yeah i'd say so yeah do you, tad did you uh ever learn how that roar was made no idea okay um brian take it away no, I, I've been monopolizing things. Well, I, I, music is your forte. All I, well, let me tell you, all I remember is that someone wore a glove and then they... Uh, oh, okay. Well, in that case, a, what it was was a, a uh, rubber-dipped, like a anti-chemical work glove kind of a thing. And Ifukube took this glove and ran it backwards down the strings of a contrabass. And then you know, recorded the noise and, and tweaked it a little bit electronically. There's some pitch shifting fiddlery. But yeah, at, at the heart of it, Godzilla's roar is just an old work glove being scraped down the strings of a stand-up bass. Yeah. And it's it's just incredible because he has so many different kinds of roars. And when I'm when I was a kid, I had no idea it was anything like that. Just I thought maybe that it was like coming from the suit, you know? Like that's how that's how dumb I was. But uh <laughs> no, it's just, I, in seriousness, that's how good the movie was at pulling off the illusion that he's roaring. Um, uh, that's one of my favorite things about these movies is the roars of the... I mean, Mothra's, um, Mothra's roar is also really awesome. Uh, I think that's something that anyone who hears that would know it's Mothra, even if they're not super into Godzilla. Um, certainly the roar of Godzilla, you know, no other monster sounds anything like that. It's super iconic. Yeah, there are right. You can think I can about, hear it in my head right now. You you can think about music stings being iconic, and obviously the Godzilla's music is, but there's like I said, Jaws music and the Star Wars theme and the Indiana Jones theme, and there are musical themes from lots of things that you know. But I can really th- only think of maybe three super iconic sounds from movies that people hear and know what they are. And even then it's not ever, you know, some of it's more nerdy shit, but Godzilla's roar the TARDIS materializing in Doctor Who and the noise of the Transformers transforming. <laughs> I have one more. Uh, Darth Vader breathing. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's that's probably the number one. Yeah, if you go... <laughs> people... Yeah, yeah that's, that's something automatically they know. But What about Jason going chi-chi-ha-ha? Ha? 
Well, uh, that's his theme music. That counts as music because okay, that was okay. Harry Manfredini, the composer who did that. Is is it true that, that he's that's saying not Jason like giggling behind his mask? <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it true that he's saying something about like kill? Mama. Yeah, I'm saying kill, kill her mom. mommy. Yeah, that's yeah. that sucks. Okay, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> when I found that out the other day, I was like, I hate that. I just liked it when I thought it was chi chi ha ha. <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna ruin Mothra's theme for you then. Shit. You know how it goes. Da 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 yes. da, 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 da da. That's just the syllables of Mosura. Oh, I love saying that. it in Japanese. No, that's yeah. great. That's great. As long as it's not about <laughs> killing and mom. Then that's, <laughs> as long as it's not but, some weird kid going kill mama okay sorry well thinking about how iconic godzilla's music is this is the first time american audiences ever heard it was this movie. oh wow because that it, it it was sort of embryonically present in in uh the original gojira but the the main the terror of godzilla is the what that theme is called was written for King Kong versus Godzilla. But when that was brought over to the States by Universal in 1963, I think, it was made in 62, but I think it came over here in 63, Universal, for some stupid fucking reason, scrapped a Fukube score and replaced it with a bunch of library music from their old 50s sci-fi stuff. Yeah, Black Lagoon. So when, when Mothra versus Godzilla came out here, that was the first time people heard, in America anyway, the the theme that now is, like I said, synonymous with Godzilla. That's an interesting point. I had never thought about that, but yeah, the King Kong versus Godzilla dub is a fucking train wreck. I, I, I hate that thing. <laughs> I actually like it better than the Japanese version. Really? I think, I think it moves better and I think it's funnier, but the music is trash. Yeah. I, well, I, I get really offended about, um, you know, and I'm, you know, you can call me a snowflake. I know this is that type of show. But when when American studios take the Japanese music out of things and replace it with American music, um, so it's really more about that than the pacing. Yeah, um, that is definitely a pet peeve. It it also treats the movie seriously for the most part, uh, whereas the Japanese script is more satirical in nature. Um, it's, it's more about like. It's honestly similar themes to this one with greed. Yeah, that that one's even more anti-capitalist than this one. I think but that, it's not as it's not as good of a, a example of what Godzilla can be like. That one's kind of yeah. a, a film apart. It, it it has Godzilla in it, but I don't really think of it as like an essential Godzilla film. And that's where a lot of people disagree with me. Like, I don't know. I don't really love that movie that much. I don't really, I don't really like it much to be honest. Um, but um. Shoot, what, what were you talking about? Uh, music, music, music's great. The Godzilla scores are pretty. Even there's a, a guy named Masaru Sato who does some oh, yeah. awesome scores as well. Um, His Mecha Godzilla theme is hell yeah, second dude. only. Like, Mecha Godzilla is the only kaiju that has a better theme song than Godzilla. I'm Damn. just gonna come right out and say that. And uh, over between twenty. 14 and 2018, I think was the last one. There were three kickstarted concerts performed at G Fest, which you and I, you got to see the last one. Yep. Where we got to see, or hear, I should say, this music performed live by a 60 plus piece orchestra. It was awesome. Now, I'm a metalhead. The shows I go to, and, and I'm not talking like fucking five finger death punch garbage. I'm talking real metal. <laughs> and these kaiju music concerts are 
the three biggest fucking headbangers I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, Mechagodzilla's theme is really good. Um, I will say, uh, this, this might, I, I don't know, I, I love the Godzilla theme uh, from Godzilla versus the Smog Monster and Godzilla versus Megalon. I think it's perfect for what those movies are trying to do, you know? Yeah, and those were done by Richiro Manabe, and those were the, that's the only composer of the classic era that they didn't touch on in those concerts. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people probably hate that theme. Um, I, I like it. It's fun. It's silly. It fits the movies it's in. I was just thinking, what if they tried to use the Terror of Godzilla theme when Godzilla makes his big entrance in Godzilla versus Megalon? <laughs> Tad will send you a. I'll make. I'll edit up a clip of that. You'll find it funny. Trust me. Um, <laughs> it, it'll. It'll be a while though. But um, yeah, I, I. It's interesting. There's so many things to love about this franchise, and yet people still are just like, I don't know. It. It, it doesn't get enough credit. Like I remember, there was this one time when I was seeing Godzilla versus. Uh, or no, actually, it was just Godzilla 2014 in the theater, and the girl I was seeing it with. We were trying to decide if uh, we should see X-Men Days of Future Past or Godzilla. And the ticket teller um, goes, if you want my opinion, it's uh, you should probably see X-Men. Because Godzilla, I mean, there's already been, it's a remake. And it's it's just, it's not a new story. And, you know, it's it, there's been a million of them. And I was like, there's been a fucking million X-Men stories too, dude. What are you talking about? Yeah. X-Men Days of Future Past is an adaptation of the fucking comic book storyline. Exactly. So don't bitch about that being original right exactly so that really i almost got like not into a fight but i i did want to <laughs> i did want to snap at him like dude you don't know what the fuck you're talking about this it's is not what a happens remake. with us nerds we get very heated about these things yeah I, it's weird i would make fun of like uh a fan of any other thing that i'm into for for getting pissed about that but um for godzilla it's it's sacred to me it's my sake it's my golden goose as it were uh <laughs> So, Tad, as, as this is the first time podcast and we spent most of it talking about us two experienced guys' lengthy love of these things, and this being your first time of this, what did you think of Godzilla's design in this movie? Oh, yeah. Because there's been there's tons of Godzilla movies and he looks a little bit different in all of them. Yep. Well, that's what, you know, going from other franchises that I am obsessed with, it's interesting because... You know, every Nightmare on Elm Street movie, Freddy's makeup's uh, different. Every Mike, every Halloween movie, Michael Myers' mask is slightly different. Uh, Jason's look changes every movie. Um, it's just sort of like that where, with my very limited knowledge, I mean, this is sort of the Godzilla look that I have in my head. Like, the iconic look. I imagine, as a toy collector, I know, you know, NECA has done a version of almost all of them. And so that's sort of been my peek into the difference of the looks like, but you could line them up in a straight line and I couldn't tell you which ones from which movie I have, you know, cause I just don't know, but um, I don't know. It's, it's a cool look. I, I really don't have anything to compare it to. Um, is it, is this design one of the, I mean, it seems like the theme music and the, the score to this movie is beloved. The uh, villain in Mothra is well loved. The cast is well loved. Is the design as equally loved? Yeah, <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the quick answer. It's one of the most it's one of the most beloved of the Godzilla suits. Um, I would say that 
you if if you take this journey into watching more of these movies this is a, this is a lot different than like the differences in freddy's makeup um because there's there's some godzillas where he looks like um more like shark-esque or something like son of godzilla brian is what i'm thinking of he that's a hideous godzilla costume you yeah that's the worst talk, we were talking about muppets earlier that looks like somebody <laughs> microwaved a muppet microwaved that's, the cookie monster and yet he, I still love it. He looks like the Cookie Monster in Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Uh, anyway, um, hey, but, uh, that that suit, the sixty-five through sixty-seven suit, is one of my favorites. But all right, I will say I've seen every Nightmare on Elm Street movie at least half a dozen times. I could not, other than maybe from the first one against the rest of them, or maybe it's the second one that he looks drastically different. There's one of them where Freddy looks very different than the others. And I'm not talking about New Nightmare where it's... Yeah. But I honestly can't tell that much. of the, Like, if you showed me the Freddy from the first one and the Freddy from the fifth one, I'd be like, that's the same fucking thing. I don't know, man. But, Freddy's Freddy's but, dead. He looks like an old grandpa with, like, a lot of pink... <laughs> he looks like a pink chewing gum grandpa in, in Freddy's It looks sort of like... Yeah, look, he's in Freddy's Dead. He sort of looks like he's wearing a spirit Halloween mask. <laughs> Freddy's Dead. Freddy is the lamest. I, but it's yeah. with Godzilla. It's always the, you know, it's basically the same shape. It's a bipedal dinosaur with three big rows of spikes on his back, and a long tail and sharp teeth. But within, like, there's been as much variation on that theme as almost there could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean, that's another thing I really love about Shin Godzilla. Honestly, oh, yeah. is they took the design and made it within the parameters of this still looks like Godzilla. That is the coolest, creepiest, most evil, nasty body horror Godzilla. That yeah, it's he's, great. He's fucked up. Yeah, he's a mess. <laughs> In that movie, he is uh, he is disturbing. Well, I've noticed like again from the action figure collector side of me uh, looking at these Godzillas. I even saw one today. I went to the, the comic shop and uh, was looking at some of them because I knew I was recording. Uh, and yeah, the Shin Godzilla toy, like if I was going to buy them, that would be one I'd buy, even though I haven't seen the movie because he just looks badass on your shelf. He yeah. has a little head, but it's like an angry look and he's got sharp edges. Uh, it just looks like a more, very, much more serious pissed off version. He's, talk about he's got sharp edges quite literally when i got the first of my th- two or three sh monster art shin godzilla figures i actually poked like to the point where i drew blood a hole in my finger on one of his dorsal plates pulling the shit. figure out of the box <laughs> yeah shin godzilla he's also in constant agony um he seems to hate the fact that that he exists so that's another layer to the character he's uh he's angry but he's also really sad he's like what kill me kill me please um the um i i i take issue with something you said tad okay you called mothra the villain she is the uh if anything well she's the protector yes he comes in and oh so when you said that i thought you were just talking about torahata the human villain oh i i thought you were no well, I meant sort of not necessarily villain Adversary. was the wrong word to use. Yes, um, yeah. the other creature that is battling Godzilla because there's, yeah. you know. In this one, is Godzilla that... is still very much, well, not really the bad guy. He's, you know, he's a force of nature, but he's 
more aggressive and, and malevolent. Yeah. And whereas Mothra is the sort of the protector of humanity. But yeah, later on, Godzilla becomes a superhero and then you would consider the monsters he was fighting the villain. Um, one thing that this movie does that I want to touch on really quick is um, it, it really goes for the fact that Godzilla is, uh, I know I mentioned this already, he's a pissed off animal. And it has two scenes um, that are pretty iconic, which is one where Godzilla stumbles and falls into Nagoya uh, Castle and gets pissed off at it and destroys it. Um, and then there's another one where the tower falls on him and he gets pissed at that and lashes out at it. And he just reminds me of uh, reminds me of my dog when my dog gets <laughs> mad at something and ju- jumps at it and you know tears it to pieces. There's that shot where he... It's like an in-between shot where the thing's falling on him and then he turns around. I don't think he's ever looked that pissed in any movie since. Um, you know, when he, when the tower falls on him. Um, but yeah, he really just seems like a bull in a china shop in this one. Um, or or maybe some sort of Joker presence where it's like he, he doesn't really know what he wants to do, but he's he's he doesn't know what he's going to do when he catches that egg, but he, he wants that egg in that moment. <laughs> and then he kind of forgets about it after the altercation with Mothra. Uh, I always found that kind of funny where he's like, oh man, I, I've been through so much shit. I'm just, I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here too much. One, one thing um, I didn't notice when I was a kid was that people were saying that Mothra could have finished him off, um, which is really interesting to think about. Cause for me, um, I never, I never made that connection until this watch. Um, but she does do a really good job fighting against him. It's one of the best fights. One of my favorite fights in, in movies is, is, her fight because she's going to die. Like we know she's near the end of her life and she's, she's just putting it all out there to try to stop Godzilla. So it's really um, the stakes have been, I don't know if the stakes are hired in any other Godzilla fight. Maybe. uh, Well, well, we'll get into that some other time, but um, I I just love this. I love the movie. I love the fights. Um, When I was a kid, I got pissed at the fact that Godzilla got beaten by the larva, even though he's the bad guy. Um, (laughs) Just just so as no matter no matter where Godzilla is in the film on that spectrum of good or evil, I'm always going to root for him. Uh, I think a lot of kids felt that way too. So, does the larva have like a name in like a, a name in the canon? Like, is there a better name than just the larva? No, they're all Mothra. Yeah, it's all it's okay. it's Mothra is sort of a title that gets passed down generationally. And is Mothra sort of the like number one adversary, like would you say the most popular um, outside of Godzilla? As far as well, I don't, her or Ghidra. But again, talking about Mothra's an adversary, since she's always unequivocally the good guy or good girl uh, protagonist in whatever story she's in. Yep. As far as most popular villains against Godzilla, it's definitely Ghidra. Yep. Who Mothra again shows up to help him fight that's the next one tad yeah that's really good okay it's great yeah it's as michael you're talking about that's one of your favorite that's i I wouldn't necessarily because i don't know that i can pick a top favorite but that one's at least in my top 10 if not top five i do love that one a lot the commentary Um, track on that one for classic media is really good if you if you haven't listened to that one yeah that's Stuart galbraith doing that one isn't it yep Wait, so I, actually, I, I think it's David. I think it's David K from the the. Um, oh, is that David Callet? Yeah. does that one. Yeah, maybe Galbraith does Astro Monster. Yeah, yeah that's that's way too in the weeds. 
bullshit for people listening like, to this. Like, Tad, sorry, this is probably going to last two hours. You're going to need to be editing this for about, like, a month, I think. <laughs> so a quick no, little brag. I just want to say that when I was in Japan last November for Godzilla's 65th anniversary at a top secret location deep beneath Mount Fuji, I got to see the egg that the twin larva hatched from. Oh, cool. The, the case and the the dolls that are used um, in not in this, but I think in the next movie, uh, or, maybe, or maybe it's in the first Mothra that, that played the twins when the people were carrying them around. And I got to touch the caterpillar that bites onto Godzilla's tail and gets thrashed around. Oh my god! Yeah, like it was just sitting there in a box, and I was like, "No one told me I can't pet this." <laughs> <laughs> You like touch it and it disintegrates, like you just ruin his. <laughs> shit, it was it was in rough shape, but yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I'd be afraid to touch it. Uh, it actually was interesting because they have a Kong Skull Island type uh, ride at Universal Studios, and going through the queue, they have several uh, creatures, and so they have a larvae that looks just like the ones in this movie, um, and it's a animatronic like it's in a glass case and it's it moves and looks like it breathes uh and that's instantly what i thought of and i'll have to send you like some of the videos that people have you probably did they rejigger that ride to be for kong skull island now because when i was on it a couple of years ago it was still for peter jackson's remake um well it's it's not uh, not skull island it's uh skull something but it's not skull island um but it's it's neither it's a few years old, um, but I don't think it's really connected to any actual film in the franchise. I think Kong in general is a sort of public domain. Like you can use it. No, you in... can't. Universal no? will sue the shit out of you if you try to use Kong without a license. I, I had a question about that. I've noticed that they don't say King Kong in the legendary movies. So I my theory was that you can say Kong, but you can't say. No, because it, it's, li- it's licensed. Okay. Kong and the legendary ones is licensed because there's this whole big thing with between Universal and Toho and RKO and Willis O'Brien and some other the 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 history of King Kong showing up in Japanese movies is a long and and befuddling one. But it involves um, Frankenstein. Yeah, it, lo, lo, yeah, it does involve Frankenstein <laughs> as a lot of these do, especially in Germany. Long yeah. story short, Kong is still a licensed property, and they could have said King if they wanted to. I think they were maybe saving it. Because he's still a baby in Skull Island. Well, and they, he's supposed to grow for when he fights Godzilla. Because that's the whole tagline is, what is a king to a god? And there's this whole big dumb thing on the internet of people complaining how unrealistic it is that a giant monkey could beat a giant lizard. Because we all know that giant monkeys and giant lizards are the pinnacle of realism. Yeah. <laughs> god damn it, I hate the fandom for this fucking genre. <laughs> oh, man. I, I will say that... I don't know why they wouldn't call it Godzilla versus King Kong then. Uh, I don't know. And John C. Riley says, that's Kong. He's king around here. So I thought they were being cute and like, like barely getting away with, <laughs> you know, I, I just thought it, I thought that they couldn't say King Kong for whatever reason. Yeah. The only reason I really thought that was because NECA put out that King Kong figure and it's not specific to any movie. And uh, someone I've seen several people sort of say that the head that looks like the original movie is, you know, not exact for a reason because they don't have the likeness. Right. So they sort of made it inspired by the, the action figures, not actually specific to any film. It's entirely possible that there's some, some 
more rights fuckery with the O'Brien estate regarding the license of the original, or regarding the likeness, excuse me, of the original Kong, uh, who knows. Or it just could be that the original Kong in certain iterations looked racist as fuck. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that that's going off onto a whole other tangent. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think my only other question I had uh, was when you're when you're counting 35 movies in this franchise, um, are there any spinoffs that are not considered part of that 35 that don't necessarily are, are there any, even any movies that don't have Godzilla just have the other creatures or kaiju like that are co- sort of considered part of the series, but not in this 35? Yeah, a lot of like Mothra and Rodan started out in their own movies. Varan the Unbelievable. Um, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon isn't canon. Nobody thinks the Matthew Broderick movie counts for anything. Um, there, there's a whole big world of Toho sci-fi out there. <laughs> but the, but you would those wouldn't fall under the uh, Godzilla banner? Yeah. You wouldn't consider that in the, well, 20, the 35 movies? There's still Godzilla properties, but they're not... Yeah, I, I honestly don't know if the... Matthew Broderick movie is con- counted into that 35 or not. It probably is. So I guess I you know, so. it's a movie that has the Godzilla title on it. So I guess technically it counts, even if we don't want to acknowledge it. Well, Toho bought, but what Toho bought the rights to, well, not bought the rights, but they made a character called Zilla that looks just that's like, right. just like Godzilla 1998. So that's how people sort of snuck it into the continuity. And also because yeah, they, he gets killed in final wars and they make a bunch of cracks about him being useless. And they also yeah. make a joke about it in GMK. Yeah, they do. And GMK, which came out in 2001. Is that right? Yeah. 2001. Mm-hmm. They, they say that people thought they saw Godzilla in, in America. Um, but it wasn't really Godzilla, um, which <laughs> it's weird that they made that joke like three years later, as opposed to in any of the, well, anyway, um, they, they, the Americans made a joke about it almost immediately after when Godzilla 2000 hit theaters over yep. here in its dub, the trailers were accompanied by Rob Zombie's song, Super Beast. And they very specifically made a point of using the chunk of the song where it says, hey, yeah, I'm the one that you wanted. Hey, yeah, I'm <laughs> your super beast, nice. which is the best use of a song in a trailer in all of history. I remember <laughs> those trailers. Um. Uh, they did use Zilla in the comics. I mean, they're still using Zilla in the comics, so he's sort of become kind of a fun little character. Um, yeah. But he's not... Eh. I, I wouldn't say that that movie's essential. If you're doing a, an episode of First Time when you're like focusing on bad movies, then you should probably watch the 1998 Godzilla. But uh, otherwise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put yourself through that if you have to. I'm going to do a commentary track with both of oh, you. Oh, yes. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it'll be me. It'll mostly be me saying, "Oh, this guy's a fucking wuss. This guy sucks. <laughs> Look at him run away from the fucking military." <laughs> um, and also, his size changes uh, depending on which shot in the movie you're seeing. I mean, he he. Anyway, sorry, going in the weeds. Comic book guy, worst <laughs> movie ever. Well, I'm almost afraid to ask this uh, because we're a little over two hours now, but was there <laughs> was there anything else that you guys had in your notes or anything else you wanted to add t- about uh, Bother versus Godzilla? No, I think I'm all done being a nerd for today. The scene where Godzilla's head catches on fire was an accident. Really? Yeah. 
What's the story there? Oh, that's it. <laughs> oh, okay. You want the story? All right. The the stuff they used for Mothra's web was uh, a expanding polystyrene product fired from its liquid state under pressure out of a nozzle in the larva's mouth that then as it hit uh, the air solidified into that webby shit. And it was super fucking sticky. And just about the only thing that could dissolve it and clean it off of anything it touched, including human skin, which it would burn the shit out of if it touched you, was gasoline. So every time they sprayed it all over Godzilla, they had to clean the suit with gasoline, which isn't a real good thing to have to be doing when you're (laughs) going to be setting off explosives. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So it's it's a good thing it didn't get get worse than that. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I, I would my last thing I would want to say, and this might seem virtue signally or whatever, but we talked a lot about the people behind the scenes that make these movies possible or made these movies possible. But uh, I, I don't know if Tad knows this. The suits were extremely heavy. Um, it, it was extremely hard. Like the people who had to play Godzilla had to be in extremely good shape and put themselves through hell in order to make these movies. Um, there's stories about them passing out. Um uh, they're, they're being surrounded by controlled explosives. Um, so I would like to take a, just a second to thank, um, God, I forgot all their names in that moment. That's really Oro sad. Nakajima, yeah. Ken Pachiro Satsuma, Tom Kitagawa. Those, those are the big three. And I forget after that, there's a couple of different guys who played them in the seventies, uh, in son of Godzilla is played by briefly Nakajima, but because of the weird long neck of that suit, they Mm -hmm. had to get taller people to play him. One of whom was a famous Japanese baseball player who broke his hand on the first day and had to be replaced. (laughs) Um, And then the guy who played him in GMK was different and so on and so forth. But yes. Yeah. These, these guys put their bodies through hell. Uh, It's like that wrestling thing. They, they put, you guys put your bodies through hell for us. It's still real to me. Damn it. And uh, (laughs) thank you guys. You guys rock. And, uh, not many of them are still alive today. Um, and if they are, they're not going to sit through two hours oh, of this podcast won't. to get to this point. Yeah, actually, <laughs> most of the, the people we were all talking about, the only one who's passed really? um, is Nakajima. I knew about who Nakajima. I've been lucky. I've been lucky enough to meet all three of the, the, you know, the big three, the main guys. And Nakajima passed just a couple of months after I met him. And so I'm so glad I took that opportunity. So I'll, I guess I'll just say that if you've got a chance to meet one of your heroes and it seems like a long haul because he was appearing at a horror convention in Indianapolis, which is like eight plus hours away from where I live. The only way I could possibly make it was to leave after work on the Friday, drive to Indianapolis, show up at a friend's house at like two o'clock in the morning, sleep for a couple hours, get up, go to the convention, turn around and come home. Cause I had not enough money to stay and make a big day of it. But I, you know, power through if you've got a chance to meet one of your heroes do it because that chance could get taken away from you real quick and i will be forever grateful that i got to meet him and i've his daughter sonoe nakajima comes to a lot of the conventions now um you know for a long time they were very underappreciated or not appreciated at all as michael said you know they they weren't rock stars back then and in japan they still aren't they they find it very weird that us crazy americans love them so much mm-hmm. um but I remember uh, walking by Sono and Nakajima at G-Fest, and I, have, I had a t-shirt on that I got from a company called Holy Mountain Printing. That was The image on the shirt was Godzilla's silhouette 
standing amongst a bunch of buildings, but then it was like a cutaway shot. So you could see inside was, you know, the likeness of her father, Haruo Nakajima or Haruo, excuse me. Um, with this big grin on his face, you know, being Godzilla doing the thing that he loved. And she actually stopped me and, you know, she doesn't speak a lot of English, but she kind of, you know, waved me down and was like, come here. I want to get a picture of you in this t-shirt honoring my father, because that's mm. just not a thing you see in Japan. So yeah, it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's awesome that they even have a thing. I mean, it just goes to show, how big the fandom is that G Fest exists. You know, there's horror conventions, but not a lot of conventions specific to one franchise. And so, you know, having G Fest exist and having these concerts with the orchestras and everything just shows how uh, culturally important this franchise is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's brought a lot of uh, positivity to a lot of people's lives. I know, I know for me, I, uh, I'm really grateful since this is Thanksgiving, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, we should all say we're really grateful for Godzilla. I mean, you, you know, Tad, you don't have to, but me and Brian, we can uh, <laughs> we can say we can say that's what we're thankful for this uh, holiday season. For sure. I know uh, <clears throat> both of you have probably showed your um, appreciation and thankfulness with your wallets over the years. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, so I'm putting, I'm um, putting Minya through college, which is a Godzilla's <laughs> kid in this series, Tad. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I finally got to sort of kickstart the Godzilla franchise for myself. I like that I didn't have to start with the first one. I'm glad I got to see this one. I really, really enjoyed it, and it's so great to have you guys on here. Um, and it was sort of nice not having to do research because I've learned more today than I'll probably ever learn about um, Godzilla ever again. Uh, and like I, I said, it's it's nice to be able, if I have questions in the future or if I, you know, watch a movie and have anything I want to know about, I can, it, you guys are always just a, a text or message away. Um, so yeah, did you guys have anything else before we sort of uh, go into our uh, wrap up? Uh, I just want to say that if you if you ever want to have us back, I think I speak for me and Brian when I I love talking about this shit. Um, <laughs> I love I love Godzilla, and I'll I'll happily come back on anytime, um, unless yeah, this does really series low numbers, and then I obviously I will be never <laughs> welcome back. And I understand. Thank you. And counting the ones Tad's already seen, we've got like thirty one more episodes of this we can do. So bring it on. You know, I'm a sucker for content. So, you know, this is part one of 35, episode one of 35. Uh, but no, thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Um, let's see. Uh, Michael, you have a podcast. It's called Is This Podcast Name Taken? You talked a little bit about it on the last time you were on, but I want you to make sure, because I know we're going to have new listeners on this episode. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your podcast? Tell people where they can listen, where they can find it. Sure. Um, and what you got going on. Sure. Okay. It's a podcast called, is this podcast name taken? And, uh, it started out as being mainly focused on, um, post lockdown, uh, hobbies. And what I mean by that is I noticed when I was talking to people, everyone was doing things that to help, you know, stay sane during the, uh, monotony of lockdown. And the, the theme of the show is, uh, the things we're doing to stay sane in a crazy world. Um, but we really 
have started just talking about everything under the sun. Uh, that question's always going to be a part of it, but um, the most recent episodes I've recorded have been about wrestling, and um, the one before that was about Caribou Coffee. So it's a really fun show. I love doing it, and um, yeah, there's there's like like Godzilla. There's an episode for everybody, and I actually had Brian Clark on an episode, and uh, I am going to have Tad Good on a future episode. So um, if you like either of these guys. You can check it out. You're gonna you're gonna hear more of their beautiful voices. And even if you don't like me, go listen to his podcast because uh, it's fantastic. Oh, thank you. I, I yeah, I've been a listener subscriber since the beginning, and it's just cool to see uh, different perspectives and to hear what people are doing right now during this weird weird time in our history. Yeah, I, I was really worried that I was gonna run out of uh, t- stuff to talk about like this summer. Like it seemed like things might be getting better, yeah. and then we're we're entering <laughs> lockdown too. And I'm I'm, you know, the <laughs> the material writes itself for the foreseeable future. That's uh, great. Yeah, I, th- I think you're good for the winter at the very very least. So, yeah. yeah, thank you know. God, like 120 thousand more people died, so your podcast can keep going. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Hey, Every time I go to bed, so, I'm like, thank God. <laughs> so, so silver lining, right? You got to find the positives yeah, in anything. Why you got to be so fucking negative, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh and brian you said that um you actually took a break from writing to uh do some research and write some notes about this uh movie for this podcast so what are you working on where can people find some of your work um what's going on in your writing uh i'm still writing for scream magazine you can check that out at screamhorrormag.com or you can buy either single issues or you can subscribe for a very cheap price for uh, an issue every other month. It's a great magazine. I Starting in 2021, I will have at least an article per issue, or so the editor tells me. Um, so far, I've just had one piece on Son of Kong, but they've got a bunch of mine on deck already, and I'm working on more. Right now, I'm working on a piece on Life Force. Uh, yeah, Scream Magazine, and I have a blog called Cinemasticist Apocalypse, but it doesn't really get updated that much anymore because I'm kind of focusing on Scream. You can also check out a few short stories I've written on Amazon. Uh, just search my name and you'll find my author page and the stories are all there. Yeah, and I'll be sure to provide links for anybody listening on uh, all of our social medias and on the notes for this uh, episode so you guys can just click and check it out. And I highly recommend everything that they've talked about. Um, it's just really cool to see your friend's names on the front cover of screen magazine. And it's just great to, uh, just have more, like more of my friends creating stuff in this time where there's a lot of negativity and people feel like nothing's happening. Like the last year has sort of flown by and, um, just finding, finding what, like creative outlets for all of us is so important. And it's just great to see that you guys in the worst of times are still um, striving and creating new things and new content. And it's just awesome to see. Yeah. And I, I got to say that son of Kong feature was great. I have the magazine right over here and uh, oh, I, thank you. Yeah. I, uh, I read it on my vacation in uh, Yellowstone and it was the best part of the trip. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was great, man. And I'm, I'm going to have to get a subscription that the, the article that you did was really great. So guys check out scream magazine. If you're going to, oh, if you're going to you. check out one of our uh, recommendations, check out Brian's writing. 
Wow, I'm such a nice, great guy. Wow, that's <laughs> don't hurt your don't hurt your arm patting yourself on the no, back. No, I, I do want to say it's nice that we all support each other, and it's real. It's a really cool friendship that uh, we all have. I just want to say so. It's really fun to do uh, podcast episodes with your friends, even if it means um, it's an epic poem of a podcast episode. <laughs> No, it's great. I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. <laughs> Both of you on for a Godzilla episode. That's why we've been talking about it for six months now. And we finally, um, you know, just hunkered down, figured out a time that worked for us. It, it took, you know, a holiday for us to actually get the time off to actually sit and do it. But um, I, I'm just so stoked that we, we got it done. And, uh, you know, looking forward to having you guys back on again. I, I think you guys will have to be recurring guests because... I've discovered so much from both of you as far as uh, movies, music, TV, everything. Um, you know, you guys are very different personalities that like very different things, but you both have, uh, we, we, there's a lot of cross uh, interests in there. We both, or we all three like a lot of the same things and uh, it's just great to bounce off each other. So again, thanks for coming on and I hope to have you guys on again soon. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure yeah, to be here. Yeah, of course. Here. Screonk. And we'll talk to... Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Can any, it, it, Somebody make the sound as a sign-out, you know. Uh... <laughs> I'm afraid I don't have my work gloves and contrabass handy. <laughs> that, that's, that's okay. We'll just leave it on the uh, word itself. So thanks again, guys, and we'll talk to you next time on First Time Podcast. Thank you again for listening to the First Time Podcast. If you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and give us a like on Facebook. Follow or subscribe to the First Time Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A huge thank you goes out to Scott Schreiner of Weezer for our intro and outro music. Last but not least, do us a favor and share this podcast with someone else who might enjoy it. We appreciate your support.